Dog, like, so are you recording now? It's been recording. Um, so I'm gonna cut off. Oh, yeah. Out, so. Oh, hell. Oh, no. Like, well, you can even put this in. So, as you, I, you will never hear me talk about wrestling on here. So, this is this is my only contribution for wrestling. What did you think of the um, the women's match? Like, I'm like, I, you know. I'm just a kid of the Attitude Era, so anything from, like, 1990 up until basically, like, 2001, like, that's all me, but after that, like, I'm basically clueless about new wrestling, um, but I'm I'm kind of disappointed, uh, what's the, um, Asian woman's name, Asuka? That's how you would think it said, it's Asuka, actually. Oscar? Uh, yeah, I always thought it was Asuka too until I heard I finally watched her on TV and it's like, oh, it's Oscar? Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's probably how white people pronounce it. And they just, she just like, fuck it. But, but she would have been better served in just having just like a fatal four way in the last match because I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, well, the match with her and um, the man, I forget her name, but. Yeah, like that match that she had on the Royal Rumble, that was actually a like that was a really good match. And so like they work extremely well together. So why wouldn't you have them doing it again at WrestleMania? But then you have Rowdy and then you have like Flair's daughter too. Like yeah. like like I don't know why like um like why they didn't run back they... and stick with that. Yeah, like the Cause, the cause, reason uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the reason that they did that is because um, way back in Survivor Series last November, like they were supposed to do a champion versus champion match with Rousey versus Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch went on Raw, ended up getting her like literal and like a legit injury because Nia Jax actually hauled off and punched her in the face and like shattered like her orbital socket and shit, and so she couldn't wrestle. As a Survivor Series anymore, so it was after this angle where she literally went on Raw and attacked Rousey out of nowhere, and it was like this awesome moment. And then she got her face broken, essentially. So this has been the angle that WWE has been trying to get back to, and they had done it because by what they had done at the Royal Rumble was, um, Becky had lost to Oscar, but then by losing to Oscar, she was able to enter herself into the Women's Royal Rumble. And then she won yeah. that. And then she was like, I'm challenging Ronda. But then where WWE kind of went off the rails a little bit is they brought Charlotte in to the whole feud. Because Charlotte replaced Becky at Survivor Series. And like she's lost a bunch of times to Becky like since Survivor Series and stuff. Um, but ultimately, Asuka ended up with the um, SmackDown Championship over Becky and Charlotte, thanks to Ronda interfering. So anyway, they get get Ronda and Becky lined up for WrestleMania. They decide we're going to put Charlotte in this match and make it a triple threat. And that's where they kind of messed up because really it should have been Becky and and Ronda. They had all the heat. They had been going at each other for months in the ring, out the ring, social media, all these things. And then by bringing in Charlotte, they kind of watered down the match because when it's a triple threat, it doesn't matter who takes the pin or takes the submission that the belt changes hands. So it kind of gave yeah. Ronda two. um, it, 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 then they're basically saying if Ronda loses his belt, she doesn't have to take the submission or the pin. So they did it because Ronda is still really green in wrestling 
and they knew they wanted to do an extended match, and they probably were afraid if they threw Becky and Ronda in a match for 15-plus minutes that that Becky would have to carry her, and they didn't yeah. want Ronda looking bad, especially if they were going to make it the main event. So they did it just so that they that they could extend the match. They had three good workers in there. Well, two good workers and then Ronda. And Ronda's not bad, but she's still learning because she's only been in WWE for over a year. Um, And then they just kind of put it out there, man. And the match wasn't bad, but it just went on so late. I think it was like 10 to midnight when they finally got in the ring. And WrestleMania started at like 5. And all the air was kind of deflated out of place. Yeah. And it wasn't that it was a bad match or anything. Um, Becky obviously won Becky two belts now. So there's a t-shirt on WWE shop, but now Rhonda actually legit broke her hand in that match. Rhonda's gone. Um, I don't know what Charlotte ended up doing on SmackDown tonight. Cause I didn't, I don't even know if she showed up on SmackDown. Becky was on raw and SmackDown the past two nights. So now you're just kind of like what comes next when ultimately if they could have ran Rhonda and Becky against each other would have been the best move to really kind of rival what you saw at the Royal Rumble. But Asuka Becky was really awesome, I thought. So I can kind of see your point there. I mean, because, like I said, I haven't followed wrestling. I haven't followed wrestling in, like, damn near 20 years. And so whenever I saw that the card, it was Becky, Rousey, and um, Flair, I knew Becky was going to win. Right. And so... Even if you put Oscar there, like you're at least saying that, like, okay, like you know, this is actually more of a, um, you know, there's actually more of a chance that Becky could possibly lose. And you even said that, like, um, Flair has dropped to Becky multiple times. So I don't know if anyone, I don't know if anyone really expected Becky not to walk out of the winner. No, and the crazy thing is, I don't know if you saw, but it was. Uh, the, two weeks ago, when I was actually recording with Asti and uh, Gerbo, they they literally earlier tonight they took the championship belt off Oscar from SmackDown, and they gave it to Flair, and that's how I ended up having two belts in the championship match on Sunday because they literally just said, "Okay, Oscar, go drop your belt to back to Charlotte," and then we needed for this feud all of a sudden, and nobody was happy about it because it made no sense. Jesus, like WWE hates Asians. I think they hate Asians more than black people now because they gave Kelsey the gave Kelsey the belt. So now it's like they hate Asians most next. I mean, they. I mean, if you're not Triple H, watch out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, man. I mean, but no, like, um, what did you? So I definitely wasn't sitting through all that. Six hour shit, <laughs> but um, cause I the funny thing is I like cause I told the chat to tell me when the Kofi match was starting, but none of these Negroes did. I was late, but so I, I actually got there. I got to my friend's house to watch it a little after nine, and it, it hadn't gone on yet. But we re, we rewound it back so I could watch a couple of the earlier matches that happened right before it. So I was actually probably about. 40 or half an hour minute half an hour behind everybody else so i was just silenced my phone and didn't look at it and so i was oh, literally yes. living the moment did you see my video yeah i did yeah, yeah man so, so i would have told you if i had been live because i saw you said something yeah but the funny thing is like because no one said anything but i like just turned it on like just 
and it it literally just like happened to start like they didn't even like grapple yet like right i think the bell just just rang and so i like i like looked out in the catching or whatever nice. um that's the only like i watched that and then i watched that um that squash bullshit with uh Samoa Samoa dog like that shit like the point because soon as he put him in the fucking like Taz mission like i knew this shit was over like i, I was like Wow! Like well, the reason they like, did that though is because uh, Mysterio actually got a legit ankle injury on the Raw before WrestleMania, and it was kind of like up in the air whether he could go on Sunday. And so, because they had so many freaking matches, I think they ended up with like seventeen markets. I'm not even kidding you. Like from pre-show Jesus. to finish, if it wasn't seventeen, it was at least fifteen. I'm not going to look right now, but. They did that because he had a legit injury. They still wanted, he wanted to get his WrestleMania payday, honestly, and they didn't want to take that away from him. So that's why it ended up being a squash like that. It helped Joe because Joe has been losing so much. I mean, he's obviously the U.S. champion, but he's lost so many stupid matches. Like he lost to Kurt Angle like two weeks ago because he had a, like Kurt Angle retired at WrestleMania or whatever. And he lost on SmackDown to Kurt Angle of all people. Um, but yeah, he's your U.S. champion. So it made Joe look strong. And yeah, Mysterio, it was bad for him, but Mysterio's on like a Legends run anyway. So he, when he's there, people are like, oh, it's Ray Mysterio. Nobody expects him to do much other than his couple moves. And if he wins, he wins. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But then the funny thing is they did that at WrestleMania, turned right around tonight, and Braun Strowman came out and smashed Joe, I guess, and Joe lost again. So there you go. Jeez. Like the idea... Like the idea, there's like I don't even like watching. I feel like why would you have a squash? Well, everything you said makes sense, but I'm just saying like rhetorically, like having a squash at WrestleMania. Like imagine you're like a young ass wrestler, and then that happens to you. Like, oh, I know. like, like would I don't even know. Like if you're like a 22 year old wrestler and you have to get squashed on like the biggest event of the year and then for for now to eternity you get you can be known as a guy that got squashed in like three minutes at wrestlemania like it was one that's kind of that's how long that match took jesus yeah. jesus christ one minute and it, the good thing is yeah. it didn't hurt Rey mysterio at all it's not like he was some young buck but if it was somebody new that they were trying to push and they're like oh we ain't got much time on the card they probably would have bumped it off the card if it was somebody younger honestly well, yeah, that, that, that would, would be make the thing sense. I would have done, but they haven't given me creative control yet. <laughs> Man, fucking um, oh yeah, did you see I tweeted? I've never watched Triple H with short hair wrestle, and I'm not going to start now. <laughs> oh shit, no, I didn't see that one. <laughs> I I've literally see this is how long out the game I've been. Like I have not watched a single second of Triple H wrestling with the ball with the short ass hair and that streak is alive like I I refuse to watch that goddamn match like right. I mean they just look old and flabby so I was not gonna I was not gonna subjugate myself to that I think Triple H cut his hair right after the mania I was at I think he cut it in 2013 and I don't I never even realized why like why other than cause his, he was like one of the few wrestlers who wasn't going bald and had a healthy head of hair. Like, even Shawn Michaels had to give up the hair, finally. Like, in the last... Oh, my God. Yeah, Shawn's bald. Shawn, 
Sean looks terrible, bald. My childhood is ruined. Oh my god! Yeah, you saw that, didn't you? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, Ugh. but Triple H had a healthy mane, man. And then I guess from what he said, he was just tired of trying to maintain it, especially with him transitioning from not being a full time wrestler. So he just took it all down, man. And I don't think he could grow it back if he wanted to. Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, when you get that old, like it's. The whole Game of Thrones thing, like the secret to that, that they wear wigs. So, so yeah, I don't think he's rolling that shit back, man. That's the perfect, perfect intro for this episode, considering some of the things I'm, I'm ready to hear come out of our mouths. Oh, All right, man. <laughs> Welcome to the Barack Obama-approved World's Greatest Podcast, Hyphenation. I am your host, Kellen Conley, and we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. On my cross... All the way, okay, not really across. I guess it'd be across and then southern, so it'd be like west, and then you go south, and then eventually you'll find them in San Antonio, Texas. Coming live to you, watching the rockets and the thunder. We have my most, I had, I actually came up with something um, when I was doing it, while I was recording today. I had a great I gave you like these two great adjectives and now they won't come to me. So you have to wait to hear it on 91. But my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Showman, Mad Love Robinson is here, ladies and gentlemen. Chia, what's going on? Big dog. (laughs) 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 Nothing much, big dog. Damn. That was like, Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I know what you're trying to do, but then you slow down and then you're like big dog like what am i gonna end this way dog i like i pull that out of my ass son hey, some of these some of these uh things we say tonight may be coming from that same place so hyphen uh, nation is brought to you by hyphen podcastgroup.com and mark rob the mark rob.wordpress.com written by this man Marcus Sherwin, Mad Rob Robinson. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. I've said this in the past few episodes, but I'll tell you again because he's going to come back with more content here whenever his mind is ready for him to create again. So be on the lookout. Read the great content that's there already. TheMarkRob.wordpress.com Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm proud to be proud to be back, man, trying to get back in the fold. So um starting writing again and whenever I get motivated, like um I'll put the uh pen to the actual paper because I'm ancient and I still write on paper. So, <laughs> so man. Yeah, man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So Last time we were here, we talked about quite the heavy subject, and me and Marcus were both mad and depressed and confused, I'm sure, by the time we finished that podcast. That was episode 86. Uh, Tonight, we do something from the lighter side of things. This is our hot, H-A-W-T-ass takes 
episode. And nothing this, but the hottest takes. On this episode, what we are going to do is I've chosen five categories. I made Marcus not work too hard, but then I said make a pot ass take. So I guess he worked as hard as he does when he does the questions. I said, <laughs> here's five categories. Give me three hot takes for each. And so we're going to go through these categories. We might jump around a little bit and we're, we're going to give you some hot ass takes um, from our brains and kind of see where it goes. This could be fail terribly. It could be an all time classic episode. Who knows? <laughs> But you're here along with us for the ride. So, Marcus, since um I am the host of this episode, um, I will give you the choice of the category. And those categories are for our loyal listeners at home: music, movies, sports, television, and potpourri, which is anything you want. So have at thee. Uh, all right, so now, I think my hottest take is probably going to be, I don't know, man. Like, I got enough I got enough here to start a forest fire, boy. Like, yeah. I mean, we over here, fire starter. <laughs> so, we, so, we, so, we are about to get this shit popping. So, I, let's start, you know what, let's start with Television. movies. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so, all right. So let's start with movies. So, um, so basically I'm going to give you my take and I want you to tell me on a, I want you, we should judge the take. So we should judge if it's a really a hot take or if it's not. Now I'm going to come out the gate. Like now scale of one to 10, anything scale of one to a billion. It can be anything. So, gotcha. all right. So now, in the 80s, uh, there'd be two black celebrities that we would say these are basically like the it people, like they have the it star factor. One of those individuals was an individual we spoke about the last episode, yeah. but we're not going to focus on that. No. The other individual is Sir Eddie Murphy Nigga. of Brooklyn. Nigga, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, in. Eddie's Murph, Eddie Murphy's run in the eighties was legendary. You know, you have multiple hits, um, multiple movies, multiple classics, multiple lines. Now, what would you say is the apex of Eddie Murphy? What would you say is Eddie Murphy's apex? Apex Eddie Murphy for me. <sighs> Coming to America. You will be wrong. Okay. The the first hot take of the night. Okay. That is not Eddie Murphy's best movie. Okay. The best movie from young Eddie Murphy was 1991's Boomerang. Yes, I said it. Okay, that's not that Coming crazy. That's not that crazy. And I thought we were doing oh! 80s. I thought we were doing 80s, but you did say apex of his career. That's not that crazy. I'm tell now listen now the other people at home, so they may think this nigga's crazy, right? This nigga's ill, right? But listen to me, listen to me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Okay. Now what movie had nineties Holly Berry? Boomerang. What movie had Robin Gibbons? Boomerang. What movie had Pops? Coordinate. You had to coordinate. Which movie had that? Uh, uh Boomerang. 
Yes. So you have these fly ass, funny ass people, fine ass people, the wardrobe. I've never seen black people look as cool as any other movie in the history of movies up until Black Panther, then Boomerang. Everyone was everyone was swagged out. Everyone was clean cut. Everyone was nice. The movie's hilarious. It's the perfect date movie. You can watch this with your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your jump off, whoever. Like you can laugh, you can you can cry, you can you get the phenomenal soundtrack. You know, Boys and Men, Tony Braxton, like like one of the best soundtracks of the nineties came from Boomerang, produced by Babyface. Mm, classic. You know, like I mean, you even got Michael Jordan clips halfway through the movie, like there is nothing about this movie that isn't perfect. And you have a young Martin Lawrence, a young underrated David Allen Greer. Um, like I said, pops before, like every every single person is funny in this movie. Like there's not a single second wasted in the movie. The the pool table, <laughs> the pool table. The pool table analogy, shout out to Maps. The pool table analogy, <laughs> the game is not over until the white ball drives the black ball completely off the table. True. 100%, man. <laughs> and then they thought the earth was flat, so that's why the pool table's green. <laughs> I'm telling you now, Eddie Murphy, uh, coming to America, it had... At classics had a lot of the dance scene, um, you know, sexual chocolate, all that stuff. It was it was great. It was fantastic. But Boomerang is the absolute apex. Not only in his, even though his character's name is Marcus, I'm biased, <laughs> and people to this day still hit me with the Marcus darling. People still hit me with that to this day. I mean, that's something that is timeless. So. I'm going to say Boomerang is the best Eddie Murphy movie, and that's my hot take. That's my first hot take. Okay. Um, I'm going to break this down a little bit. I I mean, Boomerang was 91. I was, uh, I was eight years old. Um, I hadn't had a lot of exposure to Eddie Murphy's older stuff um, at that time. So one of the first Eddie Murphy movies I remember seeing was coming to America, like, and being of age to remember it. Like, I may have, or did I say coming to America, was Boomerang. Um, and, like, like, I may have seen coming to America or 48 Hours or um, Golden Child, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I may have seen those when I was younger. But I remember seeing Eddie Murphy in Boomerang. And to me, it was like, it was kind of like, it world shattering to me because i was like yo this this the main guy in this movie is black and i was eight literally (laughs) and at the same time it it was like it wasn't an action movie it had comedy some of it i could understand most of it i couldn't um but at the same time (laughs) it also had the love story it had the the sexy time parts i didn't understand at the time which i would appreciate in my teenage years but (laughs) the thing is (laughs) Boomerang was really my inter- my my introduction to Eddie Murphy. So okay. I can't be mad at that hot take because while yes, if we're talking about Apex Mountain, shout out to the Rewatchables. If we're talking about that, Boomerang 
it could quite be possibly on top. Now, people will look at coming to America or Beverly Hills Cop or that first 48 hours and say, or even some might even say trading places. That feels like something Bill Simmons would say in this point. He'd be like, oh, trading places is amazing. I can hear him saying it now. <laughs> um, but I I would find it hard to argue, especially from a um, as black as coming to America was. That was a story of, um, of African kings coming to America to find love for one of the kings. And then it was set in like 80s. Where did, did they go to? They were in New York, right? Not Detroit. Am I thinking wrong? I'm thinking. I'm mixing yeah, they're up, in I'm Queens. Queens, Queens. I'm mixing, You're mixing up, up Beverly. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop. Axel with, um, <laughs> with uh, coming to America. But I mean, they came to, I mean, you had all this regal um, regality. Then you come to America and then it's like, all right, we some poor brothers or we supposed to be poor brothers, but there was nothing in boomerang. I mean, sure. I, I guess you could say when pops came over, they were, they came from the hood to be there for Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving, right? Um, be there for the meal. And you can say, Oh, that that's the hood coming to, to um, Marcus's life. But that was some high class black experience right there. And then you put grace Jones on top of all that. And, I, I can't argue with you, man. I'm I, I'm going to give that take. It's hot, but I'm going to say it is. Eh, it's a medium Taco Bell sauce hot, man. So I'm not that impressed with it. I mean, it, it's good. It's good. It's a great point. Um, and I can see some I'm, people who would argue you to death, but I'm not one of them. I like literally have not. Every black person I've ever talked to coming to America about it always said it's it's Eddie's best movie and I mean it, it's a classic but I'm telling you man like Boomerang Boomerang was just on another level man Boomerang was on totally another level and and you can't think of many movies that have been done on that level on with a black cast like that besides Boomerang like on the romance on the comedy or just on the the black experience, like I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now that's near that. The the only thing, like even especially like the well, if you look at even just black cinema in like the early nineties, like it was basically like Boys in the Hood, Men's Society, South Central. Like there was not a real. I mean, there was a market for it, but there just wasn't like movies that was going to be a black when Harry met Sally, like that just was not the case or whatever. Right. And I mean, even since then, like, I mean, the only, like, if you don't count, like, I guess Tyler Perry movies, like the only other movie, like black movie, that's sort of like a romantic comedy in that sort of way is a movie like the brothers, which is, it, it wasn't very popular, but um, th- there's just not, a lot of like romantic comedies are just starring black people, like just not in the hood or not getting shot up or anything like that. Like the movies are very, very rare, very few and far between. So, so this is like, this is a crown jewel. Like I would take this movie against any romantic comedy of the nineties and go head to head with it. So you have a hell of an argument too. Yeah, man, definitely. Definitely. I I like that take Marcus. Yeah, man. So this this episode is trying to get our listeners to think outside of the box. So oh, yeah. even if they think, even if they don't think it's the real a uh, right take, they gotta at least open their minds to uh, taking the take. Take that take. take, that, take that. You take. You take that take. 
<laughs> so I'm going to piggyback off of yours for my first okay. hot take. Because you said Eddie Murphy, okay. and I was like, this nigga's about to say what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. But you didn't, so I appreciate that. My first hot take for the movies category, Marcus, Eddie Murphy is the okay. biggest movie star alive. Uh, <laughs> I'm going. I'm listening. <laughs> so, I, now, I say this for one reason. Eddie Murphy had a slew of classic movies in the 80s and the 90s. And then he kind of got a little bit more commercial with the Nutty Professor and Dr. Doolittle and Daddy Daycare going into the 2000s. And then since then, he's had a run of pretty bad movies, let's be honest. He has a couple of, sh- of good ones in there. He has Dreamgirls, and then he has um, that heist movie he was in a few years ago with like Ben Stiller and stuff like that. Um, that one's okay. Everybody's like, Eddie Murphy's back. And then I watched it, I was like, eh, Eddie Murphy was good in it but i didn't i didn't really see it yeah it's how thank you um but you take all of that okay so that so you take eddie's career from when he started movies and then you bring it to where it is now okay so, so that explains part one now eddie murphy also has the comedy background uh he came in from stand-up he was on snl mega popular Multiple smash comedy act or comedy specials, raw and delirious. Um, he he was so good at comedy that he actually has was able to step away from stand up and has not returned in any way or form that is not just I'm gonna go do some jokes at this local club and if you're there you're there. Like there's never been an Eddie Murphy comeback tour. He's never had to step back into that medium. So he's been successful in movies, not so much lately. Successful in comedy, stopped, check. He goes on a lark. Or go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I I was saying, yeah, keep going. Okay. He goes on a lark and decides he wants to make some music and hooks up with (laughs) the legendary Rick James and creates a party jam, which honestly has no business being remotely good. And Party All the Time is probably one of the most... Yeah, exactly. It's one of the most iconic 80s music songs of, of, of the 80s. Uh, iconic 80s music songs of the 80s. It's an iconic R&B pop song, and it's produced by Rick James. But to this day, it kind of holds up, which nobody expected. <laughs> then he turns around in 1992, 91, puts out another album. Nobody really messes with it like that because they, they mess with the first one. Goes and gets, I'm going to call him that, the king of pop to be on his album and is able to put out a weird video featuring Michael Jackson, who didn't do features like that in the early 90s. That that video was terrible. I didn't, I was getting to that. I wasn't saying it was good. I was just saying he still got Michael Jackson to come do a video for his song on this album that nobody gave a shit about because he's Eddie Murphy. You with me? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> okay, so we got music, meh, stand-up, comedy, perfect, movies, hot start, couple clunkers, reborn a little bit with some of the um, comedy stuff he did in the late 90s, early 2000s. Kind of fell off a cliff again with a lot of his choices, but he does have some good stuff in there. 
Now, the reason I say he is the biggest movie star alive, bigger than The Rock, bigger than Bruce Willis, bigger than Brad Pitt, bigger than Leo, bigger than Denzel, bigger than Chadwick Boseman, bigger than Robert Downey Jr. Reason I say that is because Eddie Murphy could do any film in Hollywood that he wanted to do. And he simply says, no. Having that power over Hollywood to have, if, if you wrote a, a screenplay and gave it to Eddie Murphy and was like, hey, Eddie, this is my comedy. I would really like you being it. And he says no to you. That's one thing. But if, I don't know, Judd Apatow comes to Eddie Murphy and says, hey, Eddie, I'd love you to be in my new film that I'm working on. He can say no. He doesn't have to take that movie because of everything that he's accomplished already up to his career in all the fields that has been that he has tried. Either he failed magnificently, like say music, or he conquered it, like con- like stand up comedy and SNL. He has the power of no. People beg him to come do things. Like, can you come be in this movie? Will you read this script? And I've read multiple interviews of the ones that Eddie's done over recent years, and they're very few and far between. And people are like, what are you up to now, Eddie? And Eddie's like, you know, just chilling, hanging out at the crib, making music. And they're like, oh, oh, so you're making new music. He's like, well, I never stopped making music. I've been making music like for years, but I just make music just to make music. I don't put it out for consumption. What, what, what's your next move, Eddie? What move are you going to do? Like, what, what, what is this that you're trying to set up in the future? Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll just read a couple things and if something grabs me, I'll, I'll go do it. And if not, okay. Eddie Murphy has the power of no. And no other actor that, I'm going to say Nichol, Nicholson comes to mind, has that ability to say no. Clint Eastwood tried to quit acting when he did Grand Torino, whatever, many years ago. And this fool's been in two movies since. He Even Clint Eastwood can't walk away, but Eddie Murphy is somewhere <laughs> in California with his feet up, probably looking at scripts. He might be playing with his kids. He might be hanging out with whoever he's dating or married to at this time. He might be watching the game with you. He might be looking at WWE Network like I'm doing. But Eddie Murphy doesn't need someone else to give him work. He could go get work whenever he wanted to. He just has gotten to such a point that he does not have to, which makes him the biggest movie star alive. Kellen, I'm here to tell you, boy, that is a hot ass take, son. <laughs> that is a hot ass take. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, I'm okay. So, do you think that? And you say he's the biggest star, but do you think he's in the top five of grossing actors of all time? No. Okay. Um, as of 2015, he was like he was like number four. Oh, was he? But that was 20. Oh, yeah, Good. that was. But you gotta remember. That's 2015. There's been a lot of Star Wars, a lot of a lot of of Marvel since then. So, you know, he's definitely had the opportunity to be lapped. And I mean, if you look back at his like um, his filmography, 
So, okay, so here's a great run of Eddie Murphy, right? So let's look at basically everything he's did from... So basically there, there really was like a window of where he really was sort of like the apex of what you could be in Hollywood. So I'm trying to get his filmography right now. Hold on a second. So, okay, so get this. This, this is a hell of a run. So... He does 48 Hours in 82, Trading Places 83, Beverly Hills Cop 84, Golden Child 86, Beverly Hills Cop 87, Coming to America 88, Harlem Nights 89, mm-hmm. Another 48 Hours 90, Boomerang 92, Distinguished Gentleman 92, and then we get to Beverly Hills Cop 3 in 94. That's when it starts to get a little bit scary. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> now... Now, he does Vampire in Brooklyn 95, which I think is actually a good movie. I haven't seen it in forever, but I'm going to say it's a good movie. The Nutty Professor in 96 was a good movie. And I actually think Metro, which was in 97, was underrated. I love Metro. I used to watch that shit every time it came on the movie channels back then. Yep, I I did too. I did as well. That's how I remember it. (laughs) But... And, and next, you actually have Milan, which is 98, and Dr. Doolittle, and Holy Man, all three in 98. Holy Man's underrated, now, Holy, I think. Holy Man is very underrated. And you get to Life, which is a classic, in 99. Mm-hmm. Bowfinger, which is underrated. I was 99, too. Um, now, when we, turn, when we turn the millennium, mm-hmm. the, it gets a little bit slow for your boy. So... The only thing that I'm seeing since 2000 that was anything that's above good, Shrek is 2001, Showtime, which I actually thought was a pretty funny movie, but I don't think it really did necessarily well. Um, Showtime was was like a buddy comedy with Robert De Niro. That was in 2002. Then the Dream Girl was in 06. Since 2006, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you said you like Tower Heist. I think I only saw Tower Heist once, so I, I don't have an opinion on it. But times on cable. So Tower Heist is 2011. So that's a that's a one hot movie every 20 year average. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's we can't we can't <laughs> we can't say you've gone. Over a decade without a good movie and be the best. Stand by what I said. And that's why it's a hot ass six. Stand by. The power of no better than a one hot movie every 20 year average, and that's so. Oh, man. So I'm going to let you stand on an island. So. All right, so, all right, so sticking with movies. Now sticking with Apexes because we went through, you know, this man's. Um, we went through Eddie Murphy's filmography, and you know, we sort of broke it down. Uh, let me get let me get myself loaded. Want to cut this part out because it's going to take me a minute. Actually, it's going to take me a couple of seconds. Hold on for a second. Uh, let's see. Let it run, Ali. <laughs> All right, so here we go. That wasn't bad. Now, <laughs> so, Quentin Tarantino. 
Yes. This is a man who basically owned independent film in the mid nineties, took off one of the probably the biggest um movie directors in Hollywood right now. He um has a new movie coming out soon with my man Leo um and Brad Pitt. Oh yeah. Once upon a time about Hollywood. the Manson murders. Yeah. So we don't know how that movie's gonna turn out, but I have an, I kind of have an idea of how it is going to turn out, but right. let's let's stick with the Tarantino for a second. Now, what was your first Tarantino movie you saw? What do you remember the first one you saw? Hmm, my first Tarantino. Uh I'm going to say my first full length was Pulp Fiction. Um, okay. I I feel like the first thing I ever saw him actually direct though. Was I don't know if you heard of a movie called Four Rooms. Um, it's actually about Tim Roth as this bellhop in this hotel, and it's like Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino, and there may have been some other directors, but I feel, feel like it's mostly Rodriguez. I'm not gonna look it up. But the very last scene, uh, like because it's like four stories told in this movie about this one bellhop, and the very last uh, story told in this movie, uh, Quentin Tarantino directed it, and I feel like that may have been my first experience with uh, Tarantino. Now, what would you say is the, um, if you had to name your, what do you think is Tarantino's best movie? Oh, fuck you. Um, uh, I mean, that with all of, <laughs> um, damn. It's best movie. I'm going to say, Marcus. Django. That's not my. You would be wrong. That's not my favorite, though. But go ahead. You would, you would be wrong, good sir. What is it? Now, people may say Django. Eh. People may say Pulp Fiction. Eh, eh. People may say even you know the classic Reservoir Dogs. Eh, oh, I should have said this. I know where you're going to say. Unless you pull out like one of the recent movies. Go ahead. Oh, it's it's definitely not one of the recent movies. Now, now, what is your gut telling you? Kill Bill. You Kill tell Bill. me. What... Kill Bill. Oh no no no! No. Okay. It is not. Business is no up. no. The absolute, the absolute best, Quinn Tarantino movie, is Jackie Brown. Okay. I I know a lot. I know a lot of Jackie fans. Please explain yourself, now, sir. Now, the reason that it is the best Quentin movie is because it's actually not an original Quentin story. <laughs> now, I think we love Quentin for his visual aesthetic, his musical choices. He's, he's phenomenal at picking out soundtracks and songs. And the dialogue that he typically writes, particularly in his earliest films, you know, very witty, very you know, interesting to hear. Like you're flying a wall in a conversation in Reservoir Dogs in the dining, in the dining scene, and you're talk hear these white people talk about tips, and you're just all in on it, right? Now, Jackie Brown is actually not an original movie from Quentin. Right. Like his, like basically, is all other movies. So this is actually based on a novel called Rum Punch. Now, 
Quinn wrote the script, but it's based off of the actual book. And that's why I actually think that it's his best movie because Jackie Brown is the only movie that it doesn't get too enamored with the actual aesthetic. You actually are invested more in actual story of the people than the sort of coolness of the actual movie. Like you're invested in Jackie surviving to the end. Like you're invested in her getting away with the money. You want to see her and, um, you know, do the she plot it to get away with. You want to see if they actually, you know, run away with each other in the movie. And this is a movie that's not overly violent. If you look at everything he did after Jackie Brown, which is Kill Bill, he, uh, Death Proof, um, Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, and I mean, he's doing a Manson movie. Every movie he's done has been overly heightened by violence. And there's times when he just gets sort of too enamored with the actual violence that it kind of overshadows like what the story actually could be. Not with Jackie Brown, though. Like, Jackie Brown, played by the marvelous Pam Greer, like, she was phenomenal in this movie. Um, everyone in the movie, um, Samuel Jackson, Robert Fro- uh, Robert uh, Forster, uh, Michael Keaton, before the Michael Keaton renaissance, um, you know, Robert De Niro and Bridget Fonda, like, these were all, like, pretty big names coming together in this, you know, pretty movie. It's pretty... I would say this is probably the smallest movie other than Reservoir Dogs. Not necessarily in, like, um, budget, but in popularity. I think Jackie Brown has a cult following. Like, I think there's a lot of people that really do fuck with Jackie Brown, but if you talk, like, to the average person, like, that's not the first movie that they come with, but they come up with either Pulp or Inglorious Bastards or even Kill Bill or, like, Django. So... Now, Kill Bill, like, you can kind of see, like, him sort of trying to develop uh, Beatrix, the Beatrix character. But, I mean, but the second movie, you know, he tries to actually, you know, give her an actual backstory and, like, have, like, a history with it. But, you know, the movie, the backbone of the movie, other than her story, really is, like, the incredible, like, um, action scenes of the movie. So... Now, Jackie Brown isn't really balanced by that. Like, there's only, like, the funny thing is, even if you look at body count, like, I'm pretty sure Jack, well, Jackie Brown has the lowest death toll in any of these movies. Like, I think only three people die in Jackie Brown. It's, like, um, Chris Tucker, Samuel Jackson, and, like, that's it. Like, no one else in the movie ever, no one else in the movie dies at all. Right. But, like, but, like, I mean... Jack, um, Kill Bill, like, I mean, shit, it's like, it's a fucking avalanche of dead bodies, so, 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 yeah, so, you know, I think he does have a fascination with death, and cruel, bloody death, and so, if you want an actual story without getting convoluted by that, Jackie Brown is definitely in the movie for that, so, my second hot take, Jackie Brown is the best of Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Um, I I can't I can't be mad at that. I am not going to agree with that one. I give that take. That that's a solid take. It, it's it's pretty warm, but because of the cult following and the fact that I know that there's a lot of people out there that love Jackie Brown and love it being Pam Greer's back 
big comeback to uh, to film after all her black exploitation work, and then having the ever lovable Samuel L. in it again after Pulp Fiction. I I think it's a it's a solid take. It's a nice warm take. I would give that take. Uh, let's see. I would give that take about fifteen minute old McDonald's heat right there, buddy. <laughs> fifteen minute old McDonald's French fries. Jeez, thanks. I appreciate that. But, but it's a solid <laughs> film, and it gets it, it it doesn't get enough credit. But I think it does only because, like you said, it has a cult following. And name a bad Tarantino movie. Uh well, I never saw Hateful Eight. So, okay. what did you like Hateful Eight? I never saw it. It was it was good. It it didn't make leave any kind of lasting impact on me. Like it it it's another entry in his in his work. You know, I need to kind of rewatch it and take it in again. Uh, but I didn't have any problem with it. So if you go by Rotten Tomato scores, <laughs> um, the Hateful Eight. Is the lowest, and I'm well, actually Death Proof is actually the lowest at sixty five percent. Death Proof would be. I thought you would come back and say Death Proof is it, and I love Death Proof. Not, I think Death Proof is is. I wouldn't put it in a list or anything, but I really loved the shit out of Death Proof. Like there was there was a point in after that came out on DVD, I was watching that movie like five times a week. Yeah, like I mean, if you look at Death Proof, like. He has like a lot of moments where you know the women are just you know being women amongst themselves, but then you know you get a you know a, a car crashing and a girl's face can skid it over by a tire. So yeah, it's a nice balance. So, so I actually enjoyed the dialogue so, work he did, even with the, just the scenes with the girls just bullshit. And I actually really liked that. Thought the cast had good chemistry and everything. So yeah, like um. The um the black woman that was in that and Devil Wears Prada like um she was really good in that movie. Oh, yeah. I, what ha- what happened to her career? Like she like she was good in Death Proof and she was good in um Actually, her name is Tracy Toms and she was she was in Devil Wears Prada. She was um we got oh god we got we haven't even come back to that. That was a long time ago we talked about that. Um she's in Devil Wears Prada as um uh, what's her Hathaway's friend. She was in Death yeah. Proof. She was in Rent. Um, and then since then she's done, she's done a lot of more Broadway work and she, she's still doing a lot of independent stuff, but she just never really took off as a act like as a, um, big film actress. Like you'll see her more like B level stuff and some TV stuff, but she's still working and, um, and uh, I actually follow her on, on social media. So she's, she's still around. She's still making a living. Let's put it like that. Uh Cause yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the filmography and it's, it's getting a little shaky. <laughs> uh, but um, but shout out to her, like we still fuck with it, so that's all that matters. Um, but but yeah, like like I was saying, I mean, because even in the scene where like they're talking at the diner and she's talking about how, um, you know, she has to, she wants to, she wants the choice to do laundry whenever she wants to do. Mm-hmm. But she can't. She's a woman, and men are trash. <laughs> like, I mean, like that—that that whole like dialogue, like that shit was. I mean, that's some real ass shit. Like, I mean, that's like, I mean, in a perfect world, like she should have to 
she should have the ability to to wash her undergarments without the threat of being you know raped or anything by a man so so yeah so oh she she was in a unso television plot for pilot for wonder woman holy shit oh see i didn't know that i had no idea see give, uh, they give only have like Tracy a little bit more credit Things just ain't broke her way yet. What is she, 47, something like that? Probably, maybe. She, she's 43. 43. She's 43. That's close. She's, she's from Baltimore. Shout out to Baltimore. Black don't crack, baby. <laughs> it doesn't, man. Ready? So, yeah. So, take. Yes, yes, ready, ready. All right, this, this is quite simple. And I, I mean this with every fiber of my being. And it, has, it needs no further defending or anything like that past what I'm about to say right now, Marcus. The first one, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, Return of the King, every single Hobbit movie, every single actor that was in it, Peter Jackson himself, I hate Every single movie-related thing, The Lord of the Rings, with all my being, and I cannot, you cannot change my mind. I hate The Lord of the Rings, and I wish I could get those nine and a half, ten and a half hours back that I spent trying to watch a trilogy one time each. Ooh. I hate it. Ooh, Kellen. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, you said you wasted uh, nine, eight hours on that. Um I saw two of the movies. I fell asleep both times, baby. I got so I agree with you. Yes. I I got the mean nap, Sam boy. Woo! For the good guys. Oh, the movies was dry as a motherfucker, man. Fuck out of here. I hate them. Like, like actually, I watched. Like, I first watched it shortly after me and Angel got together, and I watched. I watched the Fellowship. I was like. This is fine, I guess. Watched Two Towers, and I was bored as hell. Then we went to the theater to watch Return of the King. And what really killed me was I was bored throughout the movie. But then the mm. ring went into the, the volcano, right? Or whatever the fuck. Spoiler alert. Spoilers are flying. <laughs> the ring went into the, to the volcano. And then I think there was at least another 90 minutes of everybody going home and them literally closing out everyone's individual stories. And I was like, fuck this shit never again. And I've never been back. No, no, man. I, um, when I was, uh, I think both times when I was still in school, um, man's, I, I remember hanging out with my man, Julian at his crib and like, you know, people came over to watch it. It was afternoon. I sat down for them 10 minutes, boy, and nigga was out. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't waste any money in that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, only one time did they get my money, man. But I, I, to this day, I will be polite in public. Um, There's coworkers of mine who love it, and they rave about it sometimes. And I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm going to go to my office. Um. You know, I, I avoid conflict, but if you ask me to take a bite of this Lord of the Rings apple or die, sorry, Aaliyah, sorry, Angel, I'm going to have to die, and I apologize, man. I just can't do it. I won't do it. 
Yeah, man. I, well, let me, because I know you haven't watched Thrones yet. Thrones is nowhere even near the same thing as fucking Lord of the Rings, so like, you do not have to worry about that. I feel like I feel like Lord of the Rings messed me up for going near certain like fantastical element like things that are based in that kind of um that kind of genre i think it's kind of scared me away because i hated lord of the rings so much that i was afraid i was going to get myself into another situation like that so i fully blame lord of the rings for that yeah man it's fuck lord of the rings on this side so so no like i mean game of thrones you know what i'm saying we got blood we got titties we got ass always pitch the titties uh, I mean, titties are a beautiful thing, man. I mean, what you want? Uh, <laughs> what you want? Let me raise my hand to the sky, say men, in, men, are, men are trash, and then I'll say, yes, they are. So, yes. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Saying titties are a beautiful thing does not make men trash. First of all, uh, men, depending on your no, no sexual orientation, like everyone can agree, the best thing on earth is a nice beautiful pair of breasts you know on true. a woman that's true i retract my hand i retract my hand exactly. and just agree. i just agree with you sir i've not seen a single woman say i don't want to see well that can you know hate on a good pair of titties man like this is just impossible that's true i've seen it myself but now because we agree on, we're basically the Legion of Doom on Fuck Lord of the Rings. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that as my third one. Okay. Um, I'll do a quick th- my third one. It doesn't need to be. I don't think it really needs to be expounded upon. But the funny and the funny thing is, I'm gonna send you this on my piece of paper. I legit had Lord of the Rings equals boring. Like, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I had that. But um, just a a um, a quick hot take. Um, I think that um, an alternative take, if you will, is um, I think that the best Arnold movie um, is not Terminator Two, not Predator. Um, it's Total Recall. Um, now that's I think that is a classic sci-fi actual movie. It's actually smart. It's actually thoughtful. Um, you st- you're still confused by the end. Like you don't know if he's on Earth or he lobotomized. Like you don't know, even that shit. But exactly, and so I think that movie is the apex of um, Arnold T two. Like that was just like everywhere. Like no one, like no one can deny like that was like a really awesome movie. Even the original Terminator. But um, I still give the best one to to. Um, to total recall the OG. See your hot take and I raise you with my personal apex for Arnold True Lies. Fuck, you got it. <laughs> I forgot about True Lies. So True Lies is the best Arnold movie. I, I'm going to agree. <laughs> well, okay. Actually, hold on. So the only thing is it's a little big phobic of brown people. That's a that's that's a lot of anti-Muslim um story. It's a big part of the storyline with um I don't remember the names everything, but the main terrorist is obviously he's um he's a Muslim 
and he's going to he's attacking America, threatening America. So there's a lot of pre 9/11 hate on brown people. So if you want to exclude that from the narrative, yeah. which yeah, I mean, we talk about excluding things from narratives all the time. But if you want, if you can get past that, and you're not going to be like, well, this is messed up, then and just accept it for what it is. True lies is awesome, man. Hold up. Oh, I didn't know I was recording. Hi there. Didn't mean to interrupt the great hyphen podcast show you're currently listening to. My name is Eduardo Garfield the Bird Esquire. You can call me EG. I'm the host of the number one concert review podcast in the world. It's called Catch the Show. And also a member of the incredible Hyphen Podcast group, a collective of podcasters who like to give their takes on the main things going on from life to entertainment. And my show is me giving my opinion on some of the highest tours and shows from Beyonce to U2. See, I go to a lot of concerts and have gone to a lot of concerts, so it makes sense I have a podcast reviewing concerts and talking about the latest in music-related pop culture. So go listen to my podcast, catch the show on hyphenpodcastgroup.com or anywhere where podcasts can be heard so you can catch the show. Get because that's the name of the title. All right, now back to the show you were listening to. Yeah, so... Anytime that ever came on cable, like I would always catch it, especially with it being in D.C. Shout out to shout out to D.C. Because um, it's funny, like because there's like even because it's like scenes where, you know, where he's doing a test drive and he's like um, with Bill Paxton, rest in peace to Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like driving like back to the um, to the um, fucking um, dealership. Yeah. There's like a Wendy's that you can get a cl- a quick glimpse at. Like that Wendy's is basically like on like I believe it's like New York and Florida Avenue. <laughs> like I know exactly I know exactly where that fucking Wendy's is. I, I know that street that they're driving on. So so yeah. So but yeah, True Lies. Yeah, it's, it's definitely up there. So I'm going to bounce off of that and leave you with this quick hot take. I'm not giving any explanation. We're going to move to the next category. But my last hot take for movies was Kevin Hart's not funny. Fuck no. That nigga's unfunny. That's that's a that's a fucking snowstorm take. That nigga's not funny. <laughs> like, I I don't get it. Like people watch his stand up and they're like like, oh man, I wasn't ready. Like, yeah, it's funny in certain moments, but I'm like, I'm like, he's just, I, I can't explain him, man. He's never caught me like that. And then the fact he's blown up in so many movies, and I try to enjoy his movies, and I just, I just don't enjoy his performance. Like, I'll enjoy the whole rest of the movie around him, but he does nothing for me. The only thing he was ever good in was 40 Year Old Virgin. That's legit the only thing he's ever been funny in. He hasn't been funny in a single thing else to me at all. Yeah. I mean, so. yeah, so you get no love from me, Kevin Hart. No love at all, Hell, hell no. So, yeah, man. So now we've we've um, capped off the movie takes. Um, what what category do you want to go to next? I want to get away from the screen because I'm still trying to think of two other takes for television, and we're going to take it to music, if you will. Okay. Now, 
I know you said that my earlier takes, maybe they've been lukewarm, you know, maybe they've been even cold, so to speak. Okay. Now, there is one take here. I, I just want to say it, and I'm not going to explain it. Okay. I'm just going to I'm going to say it. I'm not going to give any context or anything like that. And I want you to tell me on a scale of one to ten how much of a hot take this is. Okay. Are you ready? To, are you ready? Do you have the five signature? Yes. Do you have the five signature? Do you have nine one one on standby? Kendrick Lamar is overrated. That take is so good that I almost want to cry. <laughs> I told you. I'm not giving no context. I'm just saying Kendrick is overrated. Bong. Ladies and gentlemen, now, bong. for those of you who's been following along for these 92 episodes, now, when Marcus <laughs> first came on Hyphen Nation, when I embraced him into my house, and we, he came to my house to do the pod, the reason he was at my house to do the pod is because we were debating about whether to pimp a butterfly was better than damn, essentially. Um, or essentially the, the black uh, message, um, whether it was better on to pimp a butterfly or on damn, maybe I'm messing it up. Go back and listen to episode 34 for the actual truth. But Kendrick Lamar brought us together. So for him to come with this, wow. No context either. I'm not. I'm not even going to. I'll. I'll tell you. Maybe one day off camera, but no context in this. In this medium. Now we got to call a couple of fire stations. It's a. It's a big ass uh, firestorm over here in my apartment. I'm. I'm like fanning the flames to get it out, but they're burning hot, man. You said out of ten on that one. That's a ten. No, technically that's a five thousand, Marcus. That's stupendous. Oh my. Yes. It's the sun over here. The sun is crashing through my window as we speak. Uh, I'm choosing not to tackle that. (laughs) It's too real for me. The fact you said it. So ladies and gentlemen, Kendrick Lamar is overrated. You decide. Let us know. His social media is at showing mad love. S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. I'm at B hyphen. You can hit up the show, uh, whatever you need to do, email us, hyphen pie group. Wow. Wow. Come at me, bro. Come at me, dog. Get at me, dog. (laughs) I'm like Thanos. I got the glove. (laughs) I snapped. (laughs) You sound like Chappelle Rick James right now. (laughs) I'm Rick James, bitch. Fuck your couch, nigga. Fuck your couch, nigga. <laughs> uh, what did the five fingers say to the face? Uh, I don't know. Slap! <laughs> Darkness. <laughs> fuck, my shit sounds soft as fuck. My first one now. <laughs> Damn, Marcus. I told you. I told you. We. 
I don't know how there's a star melting my apartment building right now. I gotta call NASA. We gotta get this star out of here. Well, yeah, man. Whew. I'm just uh, how I how can you transition from that? Like I feel like I should Ooh. post mine in the show notes and just move on to the whole different category. Oh no no no! Well, what is what do you think is your hottest musical take? All right, it, it's rap related. The only one that's rap related is this. No, any, no, it, it can be anything. What do you the think is your hottest music related? The hottest one is rap related, and it's okay. fucked up. Oh, I like this. I, let's let's keep it going. Let's let's not put water on this fire. Let's put a little uh, little gasoline, a little nail polish remover, a little uh, little alcohol on I'm it. I'm gonna count down from five, four, three, two, one. One. Biggie and Pac needed to die. Holy shit! <laughs> That's that's harder than my take. Holy shit! <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> hold on, we got we need a moment of silence for that take. Hold on, hold on, we need a moment of silence. Do you hear? I I can hear the fire trucks in Morgantown pulling up as we speak. I wasn't sure how that like, would land. Oh me. <laughs> The chief of police is at your front door. They're they're calling. They're asking why you're an arsonist right now. Why are you starting these fires? <laughs> Do I need Ooh. to defend it any for you? Ooh, I mean, I didn't defend Kendrick is overrated. So, but well, I think this that one, one does. Felt like I think, that's kind of up to the listener's interpretation. I feel like I should say why. Here. Yeah, saying two <laughs> black men, talented artists, need to die at twenty-five. I need to explain myself. Oh, emoji flames! Ooh. Yeah, you gotta explain this one, boy. Ooh. Without Pop dying, and without Biggie dying, there's no way that hip hop would reach the pop- level of popularity it's, it's currently at today. That's that's the realest way I can say it. There's such there's such a butterfly effect from their deaths all across the board. And then from their reach across this planet and across people of non-color. And then think about the impact it had on people that were our age that were white or of different um different nationalities who suddenly this rap icon, two rap icons were gone. They started listening to their music. They became fans of the music. Then they started branching out into the other music that rap offered. And then from there, it's just a trickle-down effect to where the popularity of rap is today. I mean, yeah, I I, I am a subscriber of the uh, butterfly effect theory. Like, I mean, we, I know a lot of people have said that, like, if Biggie is alive, Jay's career isn't the same. I mean, but at the same time, like, I mean, you don't really know where Jay's career would have taken him. Like, you don't know if he would have really been in the backseat or if, if you know, because I've always heard like people say Biggie or people say that Biggie said that Jay was better than him. And so we don't know like where their career would have really amplified them to. 
And for Pac, like, I think Pac was a folk hero in rap, but whenever he died, like, I mean, I think his death in some very odd way, like, it really did sort of make the, like, the public conscious more likable for him. Because if you if you remember, like, I mean, this was a nigga going to jail for fucking, like, sexual assault. And, like, yeah. he was, like, getting shot on trial. And, like, he, he shot two undercover cops. Like, I mean, like, this was a, like, this was a guy, like, while he was alive, like, yeah, like, white, like, white people, for the most part, and, well, I, I should actually say white people outside of, like, hip-hop culture, like, who didn't really listen to rap, like, they weren't really fucking with, like, um, Tupacalypse Now, or they weren't fucking with Me Against the World, like, they they weren't on that type of wave at all, but whenever he died, like, even the song, like, California Love, like, that type of song is, like, amplified to a billion, um, you know, the messages, like, he, like, wanted to promote, like, that stuff is really amplified, so, so, I mean... I I don't I don't know if I agree that rap isn't what it is now, but at the same time, like you really don't know where rap w- would have gone, like with them still in the game, like because um, I mean even for Pac, like he like someone that was trying to transition out of music and necessarily not like an actual him rapping, but him trying to be like an actual like businessman and starting his own label and like having his other artists. Like, you don't even know, like, what other artists he would have had under him that he would have tried to nurture. So, so yeah, man, it's, 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 um, even for, like, even if you look at Puffy, which people don't necessarily point this out, but, I mean, I don't, people can take this how they want to take it, but Puffy benefited from Biggie's death. Like, I don't think that's something you can really dispute. He like, off, off of Biggie's death until, what what was that last album he put out of the remixes? That was like 2006. So he literally profited off of Biggie's death for nine years before he really was out of shit to profit off of Biggie with, other than the masters. Yeah, so, I mean, because if you look at, I mean, the funny thing is even, I don't think this is the Locks' fault, but even the Locks, like they're, I'm pretty sure their biggest commercial hit is, um, We'll always love Big Papa, yeah. and I mean, and um, Puffy had um, "I'll Be Missing You," and that extended his career to where he can be. It's weird that Puffy was a solo artist, like, like he was a guy that didn't write any of his own music. The only thing he really did was just dance. He couldn't really sing. He didn't like. It's, I don't know. He was. He was basically Dr. Dre before people knew that Dre didn't write his own shit. Yeah, he really was. But but people knew Puffy didn't write his own shit, and so he still got away with it, though, which is super odd. Like, I don't think, if Biggie's alive, I don't even think we even get, like, a last train to Paris. Like, we don't get shit like no, that. No way in hell. Um, He's still caking up on the Biggie, as long as Biggie's still signed to him, obviously. They're still working together. Because I don't know if you heard the rumors, but I mean, there was rumors as far back as like 95, 96 that Big was, as soon as he got out of his deal, one of the reasons he did life after death was he was trying to get out of his deal so that he could kind of do his own thing and get away from Puffy. Not necessarily that there was a problem, but he wanted to be his own man, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Um, so, I like I said, I I think that rap is super different now. If they're still alive, um, and yeah, I, I do think that their deaths really did sort of change the face of American music, well, American popular music, which is you know rap music. So, <laughs> I think those two takes. Are so hot. I don't even think we need to get any more musical takes. Honestly, like, Good, I, awesome. there's, <laughs> yeah, like we're we're not gonna even top those. So, well, let's let's uh, literally just read them and just laugh or something, and then we'll move on just so we can get them out there, just so we can hear how awful mine are. But we don't got to go into depth because uh, those are those are two good ones. Um, I was gonna say, um. I uh, well, really quickly, I was going to say Bad is actually better than Thriller, and I was going to say Andre 3000 is the greatest rapper ever. Like, he there's not a single better rapper alive than Andre 3000 ever. Crazy, okay. Well, um, but I understand, I hear you. Look at you, look at you. You know, I'm going to come back and ha- and always say ho, man, but I mean. We we could go back and forth all day long, but Andre's pretty flawless, man. He's pretty flawless. Hove has flaws. Hove has flaws. All right, so so what were your what were your quick Mine ones? are shitty and come from a weird space, man. Like mine say Adam Levine is a culture vulture because I can't stand anything that he's done musically for like ten years. And in fact, even seeing his face on the voice, like I just can't stand that fucker. Uh another thing was uh Britney Spears doesn't get enough credit. That's what I had to ask. Um, I don't think those are bad takes. Um, Boring. I think Levine, the first two, though. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we we like melted. The, we're responsible for global warming, so so we can't. We probably should have started those at the back, but I mean, it was so hot I couldn't. Like my my face was melting, so I couldn't hold it any longer. Okay, well. Kudos to you, sir, because I'm still dumbfounded by yours, and I just feel bad for mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are hot takes, man. I mean, they like the takes have to be hot. Like they were spraying no, were spraying no one in these takes, man. No, the, the one, the the great Jay Z once said, "Hell no, you can't stop it. If it's hot, it's hot." You know. Yeah. He said that, and his name's not Andre Three Thousand. Not that that's a world-ending bar, but Hope said that. So hopefully you don't have to go through that. Uh, okay, I see. Would you like to uh, pick the next topic out of potpourri television in sports, Sir Marcus? Let's do one random one. Okay. And then we'll go to like the other categories. Okay. So technically, I went so, last with the, the hot-ass take. So you are next up. All right, so what would you say is the best American holiday? <laughs> um, Maps will want me to say Juneteenth. Um, shit, the best American holiday that's not Juneteenth, and that wouldn't be my answer anyway, because it should be, but I'm not, I'm not as good as I should be. Um, best American holiday... You're overthinking it. It's very easy. It's very easy. Very easy. Yeah. 
Well, for yeah. me right now, it's Christmas because of Aaliyah. So it's, I'm saying Christmas. Is that an American holiday? <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? No, it is not an American holiday. So, so that's that count. Because um, that's, that's a worldwide holiday. Um, then I, can I, I'm just going to go with the solid 4th of July then. Uh, so no, that's not it. It's Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> but no, that's actually not the take. So, oh, thanks, um, thanks a lot. <laughs> but no, so I was trying to set it up. But all right, so now I love Thanksgiving. You know, so fall, you get together with the family and the friends. You uh, veg out and you watch some mediocre football together, right? Now, when you think of Thanksgiving, what's the first food that comes to your mind? Now, going back, you know, however long these white people have, you know, been celebrating this Thanksgiving, um, turkey has been the centerpiece of, you know, virtually every Thanksgiving known to man for the most part. Um, it's a succulent bird. Um, if it's not... If it's not overcooked, you know, it can be very juicy, very tender. Even people, you know, about a decade ago, they just started frying the bitch, you know. And it tastes great, tastes good. Now, my take is that turkey is not only is it supremely overrated, it's not even in the top five of Thanksgiving dishes. Now, the power ranking for Thanksgiving dishes... We actually start at number six, which is the turkey. Now it's it's not even top five, man. Like it's like I said, it has to be cooked very well to get it to be juicy and not dry. It's gonna put you to sleep. You don't want to feel like driving home afterwards. Now here here are the five best dishes in Thanksgiving. Now, and these are all dishes you should be picking over your turkey before you actually even scoop a bitch on your plate. Now, number five. Number five, mm-hmm. we're going to go with a beautiful stuffing. Now, if you if you know people that make great stuffing, it can be very filling, very tasty, very seasonal. You know, make you, it, you can taste the autumn in the air, right? Mm-hmm. Number four, we're going to go not with the plate, but with the drink. Liquor, ah. so you, you cannot celebrate, you know, Thanksgiving without a nice, cool glass of your favorite beverage. So we're gonna go number four, liquor. Number three, way above the ham. I'm sorry, way above the turkey would be the ham. So you need a nice honey glazed ham, uh, preferably if you got a little brown sugar, you know, crusted onto it, glistening outshining the bird by a country mile. Number two, we have the top two now. What, what do you think is the top two of Thanksgiving dishes? Uh, uh, I'm guessing sweet potato pies in there somewhere. Maybe. So So what, what would be the other one if you think it is? Uh, I doubt you're going to say cranberry sauce. Uh, I don't know. What is it? Now, you're right. You're half right. Um, I'm definitely not saying cranberry sauce. (laughs) But the number two most viable dish that should be on your plate 
on Thanksgiving is the sweet potato yams. You need you need a nice, soft, tender sweet potato. If you get people that are really good at it, you get a little bit of the, the syrup with some of the... If they get real fancy, you get the syrup and the roasted marshmallows on top. It's the cinnamon. Mm. Mm, Jesus. Woo. You're making me Woo. hungry. Exactly. Now, the number one most important dish on your plate in in every home in America is the macaroni and cheese. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. You can't have Thanksgiving without macaroni and cheese. No, you can't. Preferably, preferably if you get a if you get a corner edge and it's a little bit burnt, you get the crispiness, the nice crunch. Ooh, I mean that'd change your whole life. So if you if you walked into someone's house on Thanksgiving, you need to be grabbing first the mac and cheese, the sweet potatoes, the ham, the liqueur, and the stuffing. And then you can get that dusty ass bird on your plate. Just to be nice, so you're being a nice guest. Obviously, be, be polite if you're at someone else's house. If you're at home, though, you don't got to eat that turkey. Exactly. So that's my take. The Thanksgiving bird is supremely overrated, and you need to be getting that mac and cheese five draft spots way before you even think about getting that dry-ass bird. I like it. I like it a lot. That That is a... Uh, that that didn't feel as, as hot-takey as it felt as it felt like a life pro tip, I feel like everybody should know this That's... going forward. So uh, it wasn't so hot, but damn, if I don't like, I feel like we should like make cards and stand on the corner and be like, well, on, in November, be like, remember the mac and cheese, forget that bird, get the mac and cheese right. You know, I, I'd, I'd totally be down to do that. I feel like it, it just needs to be said. We need to make commercials. I mean, because no, I, I think it's a hot take because no one is, is getting the courage to stand up to. You know, big farmers of America say, look, we don't need your turkeys anymore. Give us the hams. Give us the yams. Give us the mac and cheese. Don't tease me. <laughs> cheese me. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Nailed it. Exactly. All right. So that was a random uh, take that you just pulled out from, I'm guessing, from the yeah. party section. Yeah. So do yeah, yeah. So to give us one random take. Counting down from five, four, three, two, one. Magic Johnson never had AIDS. All right, Jeffy. Whoa! Whoa. All right, Jeffy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Moment of silence. Magic Johnson never had AIDS, Jeffy. Moment of silence because you just quit the Lakers. Moment of silence. Magic Johnson never had HIV. I gotta pull up this Donald, the Donald Sterling sound. I mean, I mean, do you do you know the sound I'm talking about? What's the Donald Sterling sound? I'm... You don't remember? He had the interview with Anderson Cooper, yeah. and and Anderson was like, he was it was doing like the Vistiviano thing, and she was like calling, she was like friends of Magic, and so Donald Sterling raised his ass. He was hating it, and so. He went on Anderson Cooper and was like, um, head, but I don't remember the noise he made. And Sterling was like, So, what's Magic Johnson ever did that was good for anybody? 
and then Anderson Cooper started listening to these different things. And then for whatever reason, Donald Sterling just burned it. He's got AIDS. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that was... That was a very dark time in American history, which, you know, is every day. But um, now you don't think he really had the virus. You really don't think he had it. That is that is a hot ass take, son. That is a hot ass take. <laughs> Why don't you think he ever had it? I mean, fuck, look at him, Marcus. I mean, I don't know. Like, I know there's drugs and stuff, and I know that. He's been on medicine for a long ass time, but you would think there'd be something to show like that there's this, unless he's been cured, like, is there a cure for HIV? Because if not, then, then, I mean, if there is, magic doesn't have it anymore. I just don't, I just don't, my mind can't wrap my head around it that the drugs are so good and that he really is rich enough to keep himself alive for 18, no, 28 years at this point living with this HIV virus without showing any ill effects at all. He's gotten fatter, <laughs> Marcus. He looks healthier than he did when he was in playing shape. All right, so let's um, let's sort of break it down a little bit because, all right, so he had HIV. And so, and we'll, we'll, we'll be, we'll, this will be the serious portion of the, the discussion. So, so basically he had, he had HIV. And so it never um, metastasized into AIDS. Uh, yeah. So for HIV, it's not guaranteed that you're going to have one or the other. So you can eventually get AIDS. And so AIDS is... Um, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. And so basically with that is your immune system is completely unguarded more than actual human beings for fighting off like, you know, sickness or whatever. Now back to the comedy. So, (laughs) so I, I, I think he had HIV, but, but I mean, he was so rich and he, so basically, okay, well, a little bit more serious. So he, he got it at a time where it was supremely new. The news broke. It was supremely scary to a lot of people, people, a lot of people were ignorant about it. Like no one, I mean, because no one really knew. Carl Malone was a Oh, fuck Carl Malone. Yeah, he can, he can get fucked, but so yeah, so Carl Malone, like, even Isaiah Thomas, like, these people, like, treating him like he was a leper. But um, the thing is, though, we don't really know, like, how advanced his actual um, HIV actually was. Um, and he was rich enough to where he could, you know, in theory, afford, like, the different medications and the different treatment they would needed at a time when research was so new. And he, I mean, he was so rich that, you know, he can just afford to spend his money on any and every drug or whatever. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I remember hearing a few years ago that he's, I think he still has to take medication or whatever. And his children don't have it. So um, I, he had, a, I think he had a couple of children after he actually um, yeah, I was going to ask that, about was, that because I thought he had kids because I know that him and Cookie had just had what Irvin Jr. when it was announced like in 91 and stuff 
And I'm pretty sure yeah. he does have, uh, he's had more kids since the, the announcement. Yeah, and apparently Cookie, she she doesn't have it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, if they're, I mean, I guess it even a little more serious. If they're, you know, practicing, you know, safe sex and all that stuff, I mean, you know, he can, you know, find ways not to, you know, potentially spread it. Uh, but like I said, you know, like I said, we don't really even know, like, how, you know, um, advanced it actually was or not. But um, to get on the comedy side, that is a fucking hot ass take, Helen. <laughs> like, Mar- Marcus, let, let me tell you, man, like, the, the, the logical side of me wants to be, like, exactly for all the things you said. Like, this man signed a 25 million, a 25 year, 25 million contract with the Lakers sometime in the mid eighties that would have paid him for years after he even retired from playing, um, uh, like initially. So obviously he has the money. I don't know if there is a cure for AIDS that, and they just, obviously the greedy ass government's not going to be like, Hey everybody, here's a cure for AIDS. No, they want people to come and still get their medicine or whatever they're doing, um, to try to stay alive. Hamilton. Boom. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, yeah, man, like, I, I totally buy into the story that he still has it and he has, he's able to keep it control because he is, he was in a wealthy position in his life and he had the best doctors and the best health care and he had people and he became as knowledgeable about it as he could at the time. And he did a lot of talking around the country and around the world about um, HIV and AIDS. I know he did a lot of that and a lot of outreach stuff. So he learned as much as he could about the virus itself. So he he might just be a peak example of what living with the virus is going to look like. Um, in the history books, like one day, um, knock on wood, it's nine times soon, a magic soon pass. And then whenever medical books talk about like the longest known surviving uh, HIV patient was Magic Johnson. He had it from 91 until whenever he passed, whatever the logical side of my brain can wrap my head around it. But what my eyes see Marcus, that's where the cynic comes in. (laughs) And it's like the eye test. test. And it's like, if yeah, he could be perfectly fine. I don't see Magic Johnson all the time. So there might be days that he rolls out of bed and feels like death. He might be days where he literally cannot leave his house because he's just so tired and weak because his bodily bodily, his body's been fighting this battle for years. I don't see all that. But from what I see from Magic Johnson on a day to day basis um, in the public eye, he doesn't look like a sick person. And that's why where that hot take, that hot take was birthed from. Boy, I just got a text from um, the the arson investigator. They want me to cooperate. I'm telling them I'm not going to cooperate, but if they put the squeeze to me, Kelly, I don't know what I want to do, buddy. I mean, I mean, there's going to be the proof, man. I mean, you know, you're setting fires across, you know, Morgantown. All I got to do is hit the lead on this audio, fam, and there won't be any proof. Um, We'll lose the episode, but I'll stay free. It's spreading. It's spreading across across Westover. Uh, it's going to Saberton right now. I mean, it's about to hit Grafton. I mean, we it's about to hit Bridgeport in a couple of minutes. Like we're going all over the state right here, boy. I, I told you, man. I I, I don't regret it. <laughs> That's what you want. You, you want an apology? No. 
Ooh, boy. Damn, Kelly, you got these takes ready, dog. <laughs> I'm still struggling on that one. Um, what do you want? Where do you want to go next, man? Um, let's. Well, since we talk about magic, uh, you want to get into a little sports? A little sports, buddy. That sounds g golly great. All right, so I went first last time, so you got to go now. <laughs> but I just dropped Matt. Okay, all right. Yeah, you got to do back to back. Here we go. Roger Goodell is NFL commissioner because the NFL owners believe a collapse of the league is inevitable. If that makes sense. Huh, you said that the, the collapse of the league is inevitable? I feel like when they hired Roger Goodell, with even though they were a few years, like even with the early stuff that they knew about concussions and CTE and things like that, I feel like the reason that they ultimately chose Roger Goodell was to be the fall guy in the face of what happens when the league that they don't believe is going to carry on past X amount of years ultimately collapses due to lawsuits and when the NFL folds, whatever year that is from now, which I really feel like is closer than anyone would like to admit, I feel like they pick Roger Goodell to be the fall guy for that. And that's why Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL. And that's why everybody's like, this guy's a fucking idiot. But at the same time, when, it, when the league collapses, then it doesn't fall back on owners. It's going to fall on this idiot who's been an idiot the whole time. I really feel like it was a long-term plan because the NFL does not believe it's going to survive as a viable professional sport because of CTE and all the lawsuits that, are inevitably going to crush this league or make the league stop being in existence. It's a lot of explaining, but I think it makes sense. Um, I think that's more of a conspiracy theory, but... um, Well, okay, so I think NFL owners are dumb. So... If they thought that Goodell would actually be the fall guy for everything, they got it wrong. But I can see sort of an argument for it because, well, they got to they got to massively wrong because under Goodell's watch, they've actually blossomed into basically the American pastime. Now I know that you know the protests and you know the. CT lawsuits. I don't think anything's going to derail this fucking train, man. Like they're like we're going to go like full steam ahead. Like so NFL I'm, in twenty five years. Um. So I think I asked this, you know, without any hyperbole or like anything or like even joking or anything like that. But do you believe that white people in twenty five years are going to keep watching NFL? Because I totally do. Like, if you take away every minority viewership from the NFL, so if you take away every person that's a non-white hetero male watching the NFL, like, that's still, what, 75, 80% of the viewership for the NFL? And, like, that's not going to change. Like, like... The only way I can really think that the NFL would collapse would be if black players literally just said, we're not going to play the sport anymore. And I mean, look at the contracts that these people are getting. Like, Black 
black players really need to be protesting to actually eliminate the salary cap. If they ever eliminate the salary cap NFL, like the NFL is going to be here for 100 years. Um, you can be like this young person who who just plays sports and you can become a you can change your life within one NFL contract. And it doesn't have to be like even a massive contract. You can just have the one good contract and be set for the rest of your life if you play your cards right. So Roger understood that and Roger is trying to globalize the game now. So that's why you're having all these international games to get international viewership, to get international advertising, to get international dollars. So that's why you're having like games in Mexico and you're having games in like London and you know all that expansion shit that they're trying to do, like they're doing it just for the dollars. So, so yeah, man. I if they gambled on Roger collapsing the league, um, that would make them real fuckheads. <laughs> like I, I well, that would make them stupid as hell. I think the NFL owners are fuckheads. I mean, they're stupid though. I think Daniel Snyder is a is is a fuckhead, but I mean, I don't think he's necessarily stupid. He can't manage a team, but. I think he can manage finances or whatever. Yeah, um, this was the first hot take I think I had. Period, and I, I, over, I, I, I don't know. I should have went back and revamped it, but I, I, I just, I, it does sound conspiracy theorist, theorist. It does sound like conspiracy theory. It really doesn't make much sense though, especially when I can explain it so much. So, uh, I'm gonna throw that hot take out. That's the official trash hot take of the night. I'm gonna go ahead and follow. <laughs> um. Well. They're not all winners. I don't necessarily think it's trash, but um, I think that, I mean, if you want to make the argument that the NFL owners couldn't see where the NFL was going, I mean, I think that is a, I don't, I mean, no one really could have, honestly, like, growing up, okay, so we, so, even if you look at baseball and what baseball meant to America in the 90s, like, you wouldn't have said that, like, there's another American sport that's going to overtake that. Like, like there were even, like, you know, there were multiple stars of different ethnicities out the ass. And so even even if you remember the fucking, um, the Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire mm-hmm. home run thing, like, people in our school, like, people in our, our middle school were, like, vibing around Sammy Sosa, like, niggas was watching baseball, like, like, we were, like, heavily invested in baseball, like, America, like, like, any, like, country, like, any hood, like, any, anywhere, like, we were heavily invested in that baseball, and that's just not the case anymore, for the most part, like, if your team, if your, like, city, or your neighboring city doesn't have, like, a pro team, like, Baseball is has definitely fallen by the wayside, and so you have the NFL, who because even if you look at the NBA in the nineties with Michael Jordan and like Shaq and Penny, like you would have made the argument that the NBA would have surpassed in popularity before the NFL would have surpassed in popularity, but like that's just not the case. Like the NFL completely. Um, completely surpassed every American sport. Now, it is the American pastime now. And so the Super Bowl is an actual holiday. Like, the World Series, the NBA Finals, like, NHL Finals, like, those are not holidays. Yeah, so 
the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday is legitimate. Like, uh, so you have Martin Luther King Day, and then the second, well, you have Martin Luther King Day, then the second holiday of the year is Super Bowl Sunday. Like, that's really amazing. The second holiday of the year is Super Bowl Sunday. Like, that's really sort of wild to kind of think about. Yes. And so, so in 2009, even, like, you really couldn't have. Well, 2009 was like really sort of the start, but even like um, at the turn of millennium, like that just was not like a that wasn't a thing. So, I think you're right in the sense that the owners did doubt Roger, and you know I think that no one knew where this shit was gonna go. Right. Yeah, and I wish I, I just I messed that one up. I feel like I could have done better. <laughs> but, uh, let's, I don't think I was gonna say. Let's move on from Roger Goodell and his dumbass to uh, your next sports hot take, and hopefully it's more exciting than that one was because that one just kind of killed the crowd on that one. <laughs> All right, so um, so do you? So I want you to pick. You want me to talk about? Since we're already talking about pro sports, you want me to talk about pro, a pro sport or a collegiate sport? Collegiate. College basketball is the worst sports product that America shoves down our throats. (laughs) College basketball is fucking terrible. And no one wants to admit it because we're all gambling addicts and we like making... Uh, brackets every March for teams that we don't, we barely even seen, we don't even know about, and so we make these 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 bullshit brackets. They get busted in like three days, and then we move on after the finals. And I'm saying that coming off of a busted bracket where I picked Duke and North Carolina to go to the finals, and guess how many full length college basketball games I watched this year. Not a goddamn one because they're all terrible. Guess what, buddy? I didn't watch a full basketball game either. Not at all. I watched a few minutes of a Elite Eight game because my mother-in-law had it on last weekend, but I did not watch any minutes of a full college basketball game at all this whole March Madness cycle. Now, people make the argument that because these are – you know, these are kids. They're not professional. They're not in the front of money. Man, bullshit, man. Can you play basketball well? <laughs> like, and, and the funny thing, like, I actually had to stop. I realized that I had to stop watching college basketball, like, maybe about four years ago because these kids were doing, I'll be frank, they were doing very idiotic things. But then it's like you're getting mad at a kid, a literal kid, for not playing the game well. And, like, I realize about myself that I can't watch college basketball because cause even, like, in the finals, like, even the, the championship game. So I didn't watch the whole championship game. I, lo- I watched, like, the last three minutes of the first quarter, uh, the last three minutes of the fourth quarter. And then I didn't watch. I watched, like, maybe a minute of overtime, and that was mm-hmm. it. But there was a possession at the end of regulation where Virginia was down three. There were one of the kids, he he took it from the top of the key and he drove the lane. And 
Texas Tech, he was guarded by a defender, but for whatever reason, two Texas Tech defenders sucked into the lane, and the Virginia ball player, he kicked it out to the corner and hit the three to tie the game with, like, 10 seconds left. But the thing is, like, in my mind, my first reaction is, why the fuck are you sucking in when you're you're up by three? So even if he scores, you're still up by one with the possession and time to go, and they have to foul you. So why would you lose your defensive position to to guard a player that doesn't need to even be guarded? And so I'm thinking this, and in the same time, it's like these are these are kids. Like I can't. I I watch basketball for. Th- you know, I, I've been watching basketball since basically 1990, 1989. Same. And so and so I really know that, like, there's no reason for you to defend that because, one, he's already getting defended anyway. And, two, if he makes it, you're still up with time to go regardless. And so these are kids on the biggest game of their lives. They're, like, 18, 19, probably not even 20 years old. And they're making, like, you know, immature decisions like that. And so the onus isn't on me to criticize them. And so it shouldn't be like, because there are going to be tons of people, a touch of fanatics that are going to criticize them anyway. Mm-hmm. And they just don't know to play the game on an elite level. And so I think basketball, college basketball, is just a bad product. Like, there are kids that don't, they don't really know the game very, very well. You may have like one or two good players on the court, but virtually everyone else, like they're basically standing around just to get a shot off. Like the coaches are stars more than their players. Like the coaches have multi-million dollar contracts. The players are getting Nothing. basically like food coupons. So now we we understand that you know the backdoor hush hush wink wink hundred dollar handshakes happen or whatever, but they're not getting real money to change their lives, and so. Now, I'm not now, so I'm not going to say who, but um, I ended up talking to, like, one of the players on ATM. I'm not going to say which school, but he played college football, and he actually played, like, he played all four years. And so at, at the school that he went to, you know, they were able to finagle, basically, grant money for kids, um... Even though, even though they had scholarships, they could still finagle grant money. And so, you know, they had extra cheese to live off for the semester. But, I mean, that's the equivalent of a refund check at the beginning of a semester. And, you know, those refund checks, like, they made it like big money then, but those shits never last no, long. Like I've, never, like, I've never stretched a refund check more than a month and a half or two months. Like, I never stretched a refund check that long. So, you know, I can't expect a college basketball player to do the same thing either. So, so yeah, man, I think college basketball is the worst product that for sports that we're pushing on to the public. It's super popular, but it's still fucking trash for a number of reasons. Um, well, I, I just can't get into college basketball anymore. So I'm 100% with you. That's a hot ass take because of the very reasons you said with the gambling and how big March Madness is and how people go ape shit for Zion Williamson and these other kids that come out of nowhere. But the product on the floor is not equal to that one superstar talent. 
like I literally was watching a video. I think it was an SB Nation video. It was called the worst college basketball game. And these two teams, like from the ACC, um, two of the best shooting teams in the ACC, just shot terribly the whole game. And I think the final score ended up being like 40-something to 40-something. <clears throat> and Jesus. Yeah, and this was not that long. It was like January or February when this game happened. And it was like one of the lowest scoring games of all time, one of the worst shot games in ACC history, all these things. And the fact that these kids aren't staying together and the fact that it is a one-and-done system and that they're not I, – I, they just don't have the time to glue as, as a real team beyond those, what, seven months that they're together. It just it shows in the product, and there's a lot of teams that will have those games where they look like world beaters, and then you'll have games like North Carolina had against Auburn. I didn't watch it. I heard Auburn beat the bricks off North Carolina, though. So it's just too far in between to find a good game to keep my interest on top of my beliefs that it's all about money and who's paying who, and the outcomes are as fixed as they can be in my opinion. So I don't have any interest in college basketball either. Yeah, man. I mean, because I love Huggy Bear and God bless him. But those press Virginia teams, like he really played to the strength that none of these motherfuckers could play offensively great. They can just defend super well. And then we'll just hope Javon Carter can get hot enough to beat teams. And then like, that shit flamed out. Like, I mean, the team this year is trash this year, and real bad. And and this is like another byproduct of not being in Big East anymore. But like, the recruiting for WVU, like since we left the Big East, has just been shoddy for for men. Yeah, man. Like for for particularly for football. And men's basketball, like our other ancillary sports, are flourishing when our money makers are doing like shit. And so, as a as a result of not playing in Connecticut, not playing in New Jersey, not playing in Pennsylvania, like not playing in Florida, like not playing in Maryland, like not playing, like you know, on the East Coast, like we just don't have the coverage anymore. We're like. Every away game is literally in a different time zone. Like, like this shit is terrible. Like, I if I wanted to. Yeah, man. Like, I like, like we don't have a rival. Like, it's like we don't even really have a rival. I guess it's maybe Texas after this last football season, but like, but like, yeah, man. Like you, like you could literally drive to Pitt, which is an hour away. You can drive to University of Maryland, which is like. Whenever they were playing Maryland, it would be like three and a half, four hours away. Like, and I mean, everyone from WU, like, we have roots from people from Jersey, people from Maryland, people from PA. Like, people don't mind traveling back and forth to those cities because they have roots in those states. Like, so, you know, when you uproot us from, like, that, even that ease of travel, like who the fuck want, who the fuck wants to go to Stillwater to watch Texas Tech play West Virginia and anything like like no one wants to no one wants to do that so we can't recruit in like these other states where we're literally just a car ride away like we don't recruit well in like 
I mean, that's and that's why the biggest that's like the biggest reason why I didn't like um, um, Holgerson, because he just never really recruited very well. Like he like he never like if it wasn't for Greer, like getting into whatever he got into with Florida, he would never got Greer. Greer would have stayed at Florida and he would have never had like like he never would have had a good quarterback like ass right before Will Greer. Yeah, he. Yeah, he didn't recruit Gino. Like Gino came in before him. Like like Skylar Howard, like no. It's like just like um like we don't we don't I mean we don't know what's gonna happen with this new coach, but I mean, but he's green as fuck, so like no one knows how well he's actually gonna recruit. Like whenever we were dominating in the Big Twelve, like I mean, in the Big East, like, you know, we were having like, you know, one loss, two loss seasons, like, and you can look, you can say like look, we're perennial in the hunt for the Big East. We get these East Coast games that are prime time. Like we go to, we play Oklahoma, we play Georgia in these big bowl games. They expect us to lose, and we kick their fucking ass. We we go to the Orange Bowl, we kick Clemson's ass. We put seventy on Clemson, which is a future fucking college football dynasty with that same coach when Dabo was there we fucking um, we fucking put 70 on Clemson and then we move away from the, our recruiting base and our teams have been mediocre at very best and so even two seasons ago when we should have won the Big 12 but everyone else but we didn't. We underachieved. The only reason that we were in it because every every other team in the Big Twelve was so bad that it just basically put us up just by attrition. And we couldn't it then. No. So. So yeah, man. Like, I'm. I'm. It really hurts me to say it. I'm out. I'm out on WVU sports. Like, I'm out on. I think I'm out on college sports in just general. Like, I. I'm there with you, man. Like, uh, like, um, I love, I love that our 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 women's teams are super competitive. Like, I love that our soccer teams are super competitive. Our baseball team super competitive. The big two, I just can't get into them: basketball and football. Yeah, I, mean, I don't find any joy in watching our football team or our men's basketball team. So, and especially with us getting, you know, I mean, Huggins, like. I don't think he's going to do another more. I don't think he's going to do more seasons of this type of losing. So I think if next year is the same as this year, like I I don't see him being coach in another two more seasons. If we're still this bad. I think they got the balls. Um, I think he's just going to quit. Like that would make sense. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think we would fire him. Um, But um, I just think he's going to quit. Like, I don't uh, his contract situation or anything like that. But um, I think at his stature, him taking this type of losses, like, it's this thing. It's a, I think it's a thing to save face. So, um, so yeah, like, I don't think that um, I don't think I was going to be there for, for many more years. All right. Um, I can't disagree with any of that because I hate college sports right now, um, especially living in Morgantown. I've been disappointed too many times, and I really get 
it really grates my nerves that Dave U has such a fan base that is just willing to support mediocrity. It just makes me sad and angry at the same time. So I'm pretty much out on Dave U as well. It's, it's just, it's not fun, yeah. man. Like it's one thing to cheer for a team that is just like, oh, they just they just never get over that hump, or a team that they come close and they just don't quite make it. But to just put a team out there that's mediocre and then just and then just take in millions of dollars from this poor ass state and all these fans who give a shit about this team on the basketball and football sides just makes me sick to my stomach. That, that's what it is. Yeah, man. So yeah, man. I mean. Yeah, I'm I'm totally over. I, I don't even know what's So hopefully hopefully uh, President G he um he starts like paying kids to come play for WV or some shit. So so yeah. I yeah, man, we really um we really made it we made a huge mistake for leaving the Big Twelve early. We paid to leave the Big Twelve early, which was which was asinine. Like we like we could have won the big we could have won the Big East one more time, we would automatically qualify for a major. Um, one of the last, it would actually have been the last year that we would have qualified, automatically qualify for the major bowl. We would have got out the Big Twelve. That big qualifier would have been null after that season. Who knows? Like, I mean, because we saw Gino that season. I mean, that would have been that was Gino's last season. So we literally just put up seventy. Coming out of the East, like, yeah, like we would have, we would have, we would have went. I, I have no issue saying we would have went undefeated that season if we would have stayed in the Big East. Now I'm talking undefeated before we actually got to the championship game, and we left to get Big Twelve money, and we were. We're losing in the fucking pinstripe bowl. Like that's it's fucking embarrassing, man. <sighs> yeah. Well, now you're just depressing me. This went from hot ass takes to sad ass takes. The confused confused. I know, takes man. It's, just, sad ass takes. <laughs> it's terrible. It's fucking terrible. Hold up. Hey yo, what up? Miles of Madez Prowl here host of the I Black Man podcast, member of the Hyphen Podcast Network, and now host of a podcast called Fresh. Now, a simple man. I like subs to dubs, manga to anime. Now, the way I feel is, it doesn't matter what the press says. doesn't matter what the politician, hell, even the feminists say. doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something is whack is dope. This podcast was founded on one principle above all. The requirement that we stand up for what we believe in, no matter the consequences or the odds. When the internet, when the press, and the whole world tells you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree between the rivers of continuity and canon. Look them square in the face and you tell them, no, you move. Podcast called Fresh, coming to you guys, Hype Podcast Network. Check it out coming soon my next hot ass take for sports and my last one this is pretty cut and dry lebron james won't make another nba finals um i mean as long as kevin Durant's on the warriors i mean i don't um i don't think that's necessarily a hot take man i mean 
this Lakers team is not good. Um, I think Magic quit probably because he, if he had AD, if, they, if that trade would have went through, I mean, they'd be in the playoffs um, right now. This would be, a, yeah, it'd be a very different story. But they don't have AD. They're probably not going to get AD. Um, all their other young talent just isn't there. Um, Lonzo is good, but I mean, he basically set out the season. Um, Ingram's good, but I mean. A team with Ingram, Braun, and um, Ball like that's not gonna that's not gonna even get you out the first round to be in the in the, in the West to be quite frank. So um, people were really so that KD is going to New York. Um, the funny thing is Bill Simmons, who he initially couldn't he initially just balked at like at the idea of him going to New York. Really, he's under the impression that KD is going to go to New York too. So, if KD goes to New York and Draymond, you know, leaves, um, that team isn't as indestructible as they were before, and that's going to open up the West a bit more. But I mean, with Harden on the the Rockets and the Nuggets, you know, getting super good uh, over the last couple of seasons. And then even a team like Sacramento, where I don't think they're making the playoffs, but Sacramento has a lot of young talent. They're actually trying to develop for a change. Um, um, so the LeBron coming to the Western Conference basically sealed his fate for actually making it back to the finals. So um, I don't think he's going to make it back to a championship um, unless something really drastic in the West happens. Like I said, if KD goes to the East... And then, like I said, Dre leaves the Warriors for like a big contract somewhere else, and like they can happen to get AD in a trade. That's going to even things out a lot in the West. But um, but yeah, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, it's it's just too much of a. There's too many things that have to fall into place, and I I mean I think LeBron. Ultimately, chose LA because he wants to pursue his business ventures, and he uh, he wants to, he wanted he wanted to go somewhere warm again. He couldn't go back to Miami necessarily. He uh, he did what he came to do in Cleveland. So it's time for him to kind of put his feet up and see if he can stay in the league long enough for Bronny to make it and play on the same team as Bronny or play against Bronny at least. Oh my God, that'd be too wild, man. It happened, man. Um, um, you said th- that was your only sports hot take that you had. That was my that was my last one because I had Goodell, Magic, and LeBron. So I, that's three for my sports. Oh, okay. Um, sticking on LeBron, I would say that I think that the greatest sports achievement of all time, um. Not breaking, not Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, <laughs> not not Jesse Owens standing up to Nazis and Hitler. Oh no, the greatest sports achievement of all time was LeBron three one. Like it was against a dynasty. When you watch Game of Thrones, when you watch Game of Thrones, you won't call them dynasties anymore. You call them dynasty. It was a it was a team that. First unanimous MVP, um, seventy three and nine, the greatest shooter of all time, 
and then it all happened because a man wanted to punch some dicks. <laughs> he punched one too many dicks, <laughs> and he got the sacked. Man who punched many dicks. <laughs> and LeBron James bossed up. Kyrie Irving bossed up. Game seven, Kevin Love finally bossed up. Tristan Thompson, um, he very quietly he bossed up, especially especially in the closeout game. Um, n- no one's going to do three one again. Not I can comfortably say it's not. No. Um, and I. It, I, I, I do take three one as a better achievement than Jordan doing six and zero, because another high take I have is that if Jordan hadn't left the league for the gambling and not to play baseball, but he left because of the gambling, if he if he didn't leave the sport, he would have lost eventually to the Rockets in the finals. So that's another segue high take, but. Um, I think that people, I think six and zero is supremely impressive, and I don't think that's going to be topped again. Um, the only person that, well, I was going to say KD can't even do it. He lost already in the finals, so I don't, I don't, I don't think six and zero is going to be topped. But I think that, I think three one coming against a team, if they would have won that championship, they would have been considered the greatest basketball team ever. If they would have won four one against LeBron and then being eighty three and nine, they would have been considered like the the greatest basketball team ever. And so for him to come back down against that team to win and that basically if if they if they them winning changed the course of pro basketball. If they don't, if they don't come back down three one, KD doesn't go to Golden State, and then and then and then that run doesn't happen. Like we don't know if LeBron goes back to Miami or goes to LA or just resigns in Cleveland. Like that really shaped the way that these dynasties are, well, these teams are trying to build around each other. And so, I think that singular moment of coming back down three one. Um, I think it's an I, I I think it's the most impressive feat that any American athlete has achieved. And of those of those six Jordan teams that Jordan beat, not a single one of them were better than the Warriors. Not a single one were better than the Warriors. And, and so I think um I think the, the discussion about the twenty of Jordan on LeBron of GOAT like I mean, that's I mean, I think that really going to come down to your personal preference. Like, I think it's LeBron. I grew up in the Jordan era. I still think it was LeBron. But at the same time, like, I mean, I think if you're being sensible, which these arguments really don't are not really based on sensibility. But if you can really be sensible about it, like their resumes are so impressive that it's either one or the other. It's definitely not Kobe. It's either either LeBron or Jordan. Um, but, um, but yeah, so like I said, I think, I think three, one is the greatest of all time. And I don't think that, um, I don't think that's ever going to be a match. I don't think someone, if someone come back down from three, Oh, 
That's the only way it's going to be. I think it could be topped. Uh, and I don't know. Three zero is. I mean, it, uh, I guess if it's done with the same amount of drama and tension. Um, the thing that made me ultimately pick LeBron over Jordan when I did that episode was this performance um, in the 2016 NBA Finals because he got kicked in the nuts. Draymond got suspended. Him and Kyrie hang 40 on Golden State in freaking uh, San Francisco um, or Oakland, my bad, in uh, game five to make it 3-2, come back to Cleveland. Uh, they win it. Um, LeBron has a, another 40-point game. They win it. That's when Steph got ejected, and you had all the tension of the Father's Day Game Seven, and that excellent, like Draymond went for like forty that night, I think, and you just had all that excellent drama between everyone, and then those scoreless minutes, and then J.R. Smith hitting no shots out of nowhere, what looked like Golden State was going to pull away, and then of course in quick succession you had the block, the shot, and the, and then the hand in Steph's face that caused the miss from Kevin Love, and it was just a, it was just a series of uncanny events that you would have never believed even on paper happened. And then it was that. And then that playoff run and that whole season last year in Cleveland with LeBron playing all the 82 games and dragging what was his worst team since 2007 to the NBA finals and coming back on Indiana and defeating Boston. Yeah. was without Kyrie. And it, it just, it just seemed like there was, there was this nothing could stop LeBron other than LeBron and then ultimately gold state. So that's that's what put put him over for me, and I love Michael Jordan, but you can't tell me LeBron isn't the greatest player of all time after those two performances alone. Jordan did phenomenal things, but and you can say two different eras. Jordan was a better scorer. Jordan was a better defender. You could we could just pro and con it all day long, but when it comes down to it, it's LeBron for me too. So I I 100% agree with you on that take. In the NBA Finals, in the 2016 Finals, Game Seven. You would have thought that Steph Curry and Clay, like they would have, like you know, really, you know, dug in, and they would have been, you know, super, you know, just about, you know, we gotta close this shit out. But these motherfuckers, they shit the bed. Yeah, like they literally like the bed. Draymond, who came off of suspension and all the pressure, like he he dropped more than he he scored more than LeBron. Like, um, he scored, I'm trying to get the score now. He had like 35. Um, his stat line is actually nuts. Like he had like, he had like 35, 15, and like, here, fucking Draymond Green, double? NBA, almost in the fucking NBA finals, Draymond, Draymond Green, 32 points, 15 rebounds, nine assists, only two turnovers, two steals. He shot six from eight from three, and the Warriors couldn't win that game. Steph Steph went four for 14 from three, only had 17 points, and he only had two assists. Uh, Clay only had 14 points, and he shot two from 10 from three. And so in that game, LeBron, LeBron went um, 27, 11, and 11. Um, and then he had the three blocks, including LeBlock. So, so yeah, man, I mean, I mean, 
if you get in a game like that from Draymond, if you if if you would have went into a time machine and you would have said Draymond's going to get you 30, 32, 15, and 9, you right before tip-off, if someone would have told you that, you would have bet the house that the Warriors going to win that game, like, no problem. If I if it said Draymond is going to outscore LeBron, out-rebound LeBron, out-assist LeBron, you would have said that the Warriors going to win that in the cakewalk. And so... So yeah, man. Like, that's <laughs> fucking Kevin Love only scored nine points, but he had fourteen rebounds, and so he was getting the rebounds at like the at the time to get the fucking rebound. So, so yeah, man. Like, gene that he had in Minnesota for a little while, but it's hard to get rebounds yes. when you're always on the freaking wings waiting for LeBron to kick it to you. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, but. Kevin Love, like, he was, other than that game, like, he was non-existent. Like, the game that, like, LeBron and um, LeBron and Kyrie both dropped 40, this fool, guess how many points he had? Seven. Two. Kevin Love scored two points when LeBron and Kyrie scored 41 apiece. <laughs> wow. Fucking JR had 10. Tristan Thompson had six. Kevin Love had fucking two. Like, so, exactly. (laughs) That's, uh, that makes it even more impressive. Like, I mean, because basically coming out of Miami, like, Bosch was like the, other than that first season, Bosch is basically the second best player on the Heat. And, People were just assuming that that was going to be Kevin Love, but I mean, in those, I mean, in those finals, like every finals that they were ever in, like Kevin Love just didn't show up. Like that's just the end of it. And so Kyrie basically, he just had to take over in ways that like Kevin Love just wouldn't or couldn't, I should say. Um, but um, but yeah, man, like I mean, in Game Five. Love had two points. Game six, he had seven. And uh, games, game seven, he had nine yeah, points. He was um, the NBA champion that year. Wow. Exactly. So, yeah, man. So, I mean, this is this is who LeBron was dragging to the finals. So, J.R., Tristan Thompson, Richard Jefferson, Iman Shepard, Mo Williams. <laughs> like, like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, this... Is, is LeBron's a goat? Like that's like, that. <laughs> like LeBron's a goat. Yeah, man. Like for real, for real. All right. So, well, we got two categories left, Marcus. We got television and potpourri, and it's my choice because you pick sports. So, since you're already pulled from your potpourri, give me your next hot take out of potpourri. So I'm a I'm a black man. And um you know I'm a I'm a you know I'm a large black man. You know, I'm not gonna pause that because we don't need to pause that. So, you know, being a large black man, you know, there's certain things that we have to adjust to, we have to make adjustments. The temperature being one of those adjustments. Now, you know, when the sun comes out, you know, Texas today and yesterday. It was 90 degrees in this motherfucker. 
you know, yeah. And so I had to dress professionally for work. And so, you know, I had the, you know, you know, a nice sweater, you know, with the, the T-shirt underneath, you know, trying to stay classy, trying to stay respectable. <laughs> but um, summer is approaching. Summer is coming. And I'm here to tell you that summer is the most overrated season that we have in this motherfucker. Oh. Like, summer is completely overrated. It's hot as fuck. Kids are out. They're annoying. They're out for summer. They're annoying as hell on the streets, terrorizing citizens of the country. Um, <laughs> the cars is... You get, you get into your car, it's hot as fuck. Like, if you have leather seats, it's a fucking hell. It's a hell throne. I mean, summer just, oh, and Texas summers, oh my God. Summer is just fucking awful. Now, you get to wear shorts, you get to wear tank tops, yada, yada, yada. You can do that shit in the spring. Give me the spring, give me the fall. I'll even take the winter, because even now and then it'll warm up. It'll be, it'll be like a nice 50, 48 degrees. You get your, you get your layers on, you get fly, you get suited, you get booted. But summer, man, you just hot. Like the sun is just on your face, man. Fuck summer. I hate summer. And I'm I'm and I'm a summer baby and I can't stand a summer. Wow. Yes, I said it. Well, Marcus, I'm just gonna go ahead and give that uh that take is definitely <sighs> that is ghost pepper hot there, buddy. <laughs> I didn't think you would think it's that hot, but nah, man, fuck summer, dog. Give me, give me. I've heard people say they they that they that they prefer spring. They like fall. Some people like winter, but I never heard anybody say fuck summer. Like, just fuck with everything summer's about. That's crazy. Jay Z said, "Dear Summer," I said, "Nah, you can keep that bitch, cause <laughs> nah, man. Like it's just hot. Like the sun is every fucking where. Like there's no escaping. Like, have you ever been to Texas before? No, I have not. Dog, the sun is just different out here, man. Like way before you move, though. I did, man. Because even even in Morgantown." Summers there are fucking humid as fuck, man. Like the summers there are so humid in DC. The summers are so fucking humid, man. Like you just can't. Ex- it's it. It's like suffocating, like humidity on the East Coast in the summer. And so you can get like in the pool. You can go to the beach. It, and 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 you know, it's no escaping the humidity, man. Like that shit just chokes you. So. I'm I'm definitely on the side of saying fuck summer. All right. Well. Um. Okay. Fuck summer for Marcus then. Um. Yeah, man. I don't agree. Get it out of here. I don't agree. Um. Got a couple on here. One of my conspiracy theories is definitely on here, but I'm going to lead with this one. That uh, is this. I may have been overthinking it, but I'm gonna just go ahead and say it because I feel like my other take is slightly better as far as hot takes goes. But this take is simply saying that I believe Facebook will not exist in 10 years. Um, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? I feel like 
the invasion of privacy and the fact I really feel like there will be a, a mass migration away from the platform, not necessarily from all social media, but I really feel like there will be some kind of huge backlash against Facebook that will ultimately lead to its downfall where it is not so integral to our everyday lives anymore. I mean, I think humanity will be better served if there were no more Facebook to be, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, I think it's, well, one, Facebook was way better when it was just allowing like college kids on Facebook. Like that's just not even like over debate. Like, like, um, were you still in school when Facebook first came I out? I actually had just gotten into WVU um, when I moved out here because I had to wait two years when I moved out here. I got in WVU and I got on Facebook. Absolutely. So, I mean, when you were just basically just hitting up other people from your school, like you were... I mean, you were seeing the... the <laughs> I mean, I'll just be real. Like, people were... People were definitely using Facebook to meet other people. Like I know women who use it to meet dudes. I knew I know dudes who use it to meet girls. Like um, I knew dudes that were shooting shots. Like girls were shooting shots. Like it was. I mean, it was really networking through your college, and so there definitely wasn't like political rants. Like there wasn't like race talk. Like there. It was literally just college kids basically, you know, in other words, linking up. And so that shit was, it was fun. It was tight. Like, that shit was cool. Like, the pictures and tagging in the pictures and shit. Like, um, you know, even like, like, you friends with a girl, you see another girl on her page, you holler at the girl like, yo, who's this? Like, you gotta, you gotta hook me up. Like seeing shit like that, like that shit was just so fun. But then, as soon as like regular humanoids got on Facebook, like it just became fucking awful. Like, um, it's a big old trash can over there, man. Yeah, and, and if you're listening to this and you you're a humanoid that was on Facebook and you weren't of the college era. And I, I, I'm here to tell you that you made Facebook trash. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking directly to you. Yes, I'm not talking to any other person. I am literally talking to you. You made Facebook terrible. Now, to amplify it, Russian bots and fucking <laughs> fake news and all this other shit amplified it to a million. So... I don't even go to, like, I, I legit don't even really go on Facebook anymore. Like, I, I do the messages every now and then. I do a couple of birthdays every now and then. But for the most part, I'm not fucking with Facebook at all. Like, I, um, I'm just not fucking with Facebook at all, man. I, I hope that it's not a thing in five years, honestly, not let alone ten years. But, um, but yeah, I hope the shit comes down some way. And if you think about it, like, there, like, we're, we're very new in the social media space and even we're still even pretty new in the internet space, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been no real digital platform to last as long as Facebook has. Like, um, you know, MySpace had its run, it failed. AOL had its run, it failed. Um, you know, like Black Planet and, um, you know, stuff 
those lines, like those things have tried and they haven't, te- they haven't lasted the test of time. Um, Facebook has, unfortunately. I think it's at a point where it's kind of so big that like, it's kind of like Walmart. Like it's just so big that like you can't get away from not it. be cons- Yeah, you can't get away from it at all. And so, so yeah, man, I, I hope it's not a thing in the next decade, but I don't know, man. I don't have hope for it collapsing. Yeah, it, it was more of a dream than a high take, but eh, I thought I'd throw it in there. So, yeah. you have one more potpourri hot take? Is that right? Uh, I do, but... Um, you don't watch Thrones, and so, so if I, if I, yeah, because if I give, the, I'll give the take, but I won't. Well, it's only fun if I give it context, and so if I give it context, it's going to ruin the show. It's going to give you spoilers, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give that take. Um, another quick take I had um, was that. Potato salad is overrated. Yes. <laughs> it's very yeah, overrated. It like, like only like four people in America can make decent potato salad. So that's that's on the very bottom of the power ranking list for Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> um, but yeah, potato salad is completely overrated. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, let me throw this one out there and see how it lands. Barack Obama accomplished nothing. Uh, that's a hot ass take. <laughs> that is a very hot take, and I, I, you gotta explain this one. All right, first black president, check all full proper and respects to that. Yes, amazing moment in my life when that happened in two thousand and eight. Yes, Affordable Health Care Act. Yes, he did try to fix the American healthcare system. Whether or not that's worked is up to each individual consumer's experience with it, I, I guess. Um, I don't find a major problem with it personally, but there might be someone else down the line who has a problem with it. <sighs> what else did he do? I mean, so now to say that he didn't accomplish anything, um, that is definitely like, like I said. That is a total hot take. <laughs> but so to answer the question, so I mean the Affordable Hair, uh, the Affordable Health Care Act, um, that was an accomplishment. But the backlash to it, it basically, it basically forced employer well employers to counteract the health care act they basically first they cut hours from people's um from people's um work hours or whatever so in an effort to circumvent them having to mandatory um you know cover people's insurances they basically said fuck y'all you're going to go to part-time appointments or the full-time appointments so won't cover you now now that's not his fault that's big business and capitalism mm-hmm. telling people to go fuck yeah, I'm themselves. I'm not blaming him for that. No, not at all. Yeah, but but no, I mean, but in itself, it still is an accomplishment. Um, also, you know, 
he was the first one to really get this sort of train moving really on equality for gay marriage. Um, you know, that can't be taken away. Like, that is something that, um, you know, that was something that really blossomed under his presidency. So, so, so yeah, he had that. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not retracting. Yes. Now, the thing, I mean, in all honesty, the thing that is really sort of um, the thing that about Barack that is not above uh, reproach is really his. Okay, so let me fully explain it this way. I was a person that cried when. I first found out that Barack Obama was elected president. I was in the VFW in, in, in Westover, and I was hanging out with my friends. I wasn't even paying attention to the news, and the Fox News said that Barack was president, and I started to cry. And this is the same person on his last night in office when he gave his farewell speech. I cried then. But there was parts where I was mammothly disappointed and Barack Obama as a president. This is a president that, who, while he did things for equality for gay marriage, he didn't do anything to shorten the equality gaps between um, Black Americans and White Americans. That that's the short. That's the long and short of it. Like he didn't do the, he didn't do anything to shorten not only wealth gaps but also educational gaps. Like this was a this was a president who under his watch like he went extremely hard for droning and drone bombings and drone killings. Like, that's something that is a disgrace in, in, in the international sense. Like, um, like those are things that aren't, that cannot be, you know, ignored or dismissed. Like, for his presidency, his main thing was that, like, when he got elected, people were saying, oh, he's going to be a black president. He's going to do own things with black people. His thing was like, no, I can't do that because I have to run the country. But the thing is, like, he didn't do anything specifically for for black people in this country. Like, that's like that is a legitimate statement that really cannot be refuted. Now, the symbol of Barack Obama and the symbol for all of our heroes is always going to be more actual man. So for Malcolm X, like the symbol of what Malcolm X represented it's always going to far outweigh his actual accomplishments as an actual man. For Barack, it's the same thing. We can point to Barack and say the person that Barack Obama actually is, the the smart person, the intelligent person, the the smart ass, like the charismatic person, the charming person, like we can point to him and say he's literally the best president of our lifetime, which is the absolute truth. And we can also point to him and say there were things that he did that was massively disappointing as a president. And both things are going to be true at the exact same time. Like he's the best president that we had, but at the same time, like there's been times where he never, he never outwardly spoke against police brutality. He never outwardly spoke against any real police shooting. He never outwardly spoke out against, you know, finding justice for these slain people. And in a sense, he couldn't because in his position as president, 
he can't show to sway favor pro or against any sort of investigation like that. So he he was never in a position where he actually could say those things, even if he wanted to. Now, you can question if he ever really wanted to. You can question that, but we'll, we'll, we will really never know the answer to that. And so for the um, um, the equality gap as far as um, wealth and education, those things were not short in, in his in his term as president. And in fact, um, a lot of those areas actually got worse for black people. Um, so now he he inherited a terrible presidency from a terrible president. He inherited a terrible economy. Um, he inherited a lot of things that were just extremely negative under his watch. And as a result of him being president, Republicans in this country, they massively did things to undermine who he was. They massively did things under to undermine voting rights, uh, voting rights and voting laws. Um, they did massive things to, like I said, for big business and capitalism. He said, if you want to have full-time employers, you, uh, if full-time employees, give them health care. They said, fuck you, we'll just cut their hours. So there are things that he did, there's things that a result of his even mere presence elected Trump as president. And I and was going those, to slide in there that a lot of times that the Congress was Republican controlled. So there was that fighting against them as well. Yeah, so and also you have the Dreamers Act, which he um, Trump is definitely undermining. But, you know, the Dreamers Act, um, I believe that was started directly by Obama. The Dreamers Act was to have um, an easy way for naturalizing citizens who are um, who basically have their immigrants, but they have children that are born in America and trying to get them Ameri- uh, trying to get them citizenry. Um, you know, because our kids are citizens effectively. Um, so he did things that were great. And like I said, he he is the best president of our lifetime. Um, Easily. But like I said, there are things that be to be woefully disappointed on if you're a black person. Even if you're not a black person, like if you're a white person, if you're a Hispanic person, if you're an Asian person, and you saw how he was very standoff and saying things about, um, you know, specifically about police saying black men, like, yeah, like there's like every, like there was like one particular press conference when he said like, you know, I was a black person. I've been harassed by police and it's not fair. And the media sort of took that and ran with it a little bit, but at the same time, like we needed someone in power to say this shit has to stop and we are going to stop it. And we need to stop it right now. Like that never happened from Barack. And so that was very massively disappointing. And and if you want to be honest, the Trump's election was a result of Barack being elected in office. But if you want to be for real about it, if Barack would have early, if Barack would have came out early and say, I want to support Joe Biden for being president, Biden would have took the torch and just said, even with his kid dying, Barack, um, Biden would have said, you know what, with Barack publicly backing me in this way, I'll go ahead and run. 
Biden would have beat Hillary and um, Bernie and Biden would have beat Trump. So earlier about the butterfly effect by Barack not publicly endorsing either Hillary or Bernie being very standoffish until the very end when he had to be that that did have an effect on the public perception of who we really should be backing and Bernie bros. Well, I mean, uh, we're not getting into them, but Barack Obama not publicly backing either not publicly backing Biden and Hillary or Bernie very early in the process that led to a lot of things that led to Trump being elected. So, so there are things that he controlled while in office and things that he just didn't control that, like, you can say that, like, you know, the country was forever changed because of Barack Obama. So, like I said, like, I, the symbol of Barack is going to outweigh the symbol of, the symbol of Barack is going to outweigh what he actually achieved. Um, and even having a Republican in office, if McCain would have got elected or uh, the other fuckface would have got elected, whoever the fuck he is, um, the, the presidency in the country would have been way worse than what it actually was. And so, um, so yeah, so Barack did, um, Barack, he, 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 he did as well as an American president can be in a two party system that we say is a really a democratic system, but we're really a Republic and our, you know, politicians, politicians continually lie to us and bait us and, you know, capitalism, all that jazz. But as far as all that is concerned, um, he did about as well as he possibly could do, but there were definitely things he could have did way better while in office. Well, I think you kind of proved my point there. <laughs> I mean, he did he, things he like he did things that things. he did, but then there was there was an awful lot that he couldn't or just did not do in the long run. So nothing is a stretch. I will take that, but. Nothing is a stretch, boy. He stretch Armstrong. So there's a lot that he that he couldn't do. So uh, that that's my. Uh, I got one more potpourri one for you. Um, all right, you're all out, and this is. I'm just gonna read it. Um, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. If you want it, you can go into it. If you don't want to, we don't got to, because we still got television to take care of, and I only got two cat two uh, questions for that one. Hot takes. Yeah, it's one o'clock your time, yeah, so I'm still going strong. It's all good. Ah, all right. It's midnight your time, but we're going. We're going to go ahead and just read this. This is my conspiracy theory: moon landing was fake. <laughs> you should watch Apollo thirteen, the documentary um, that just came out. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's showing in Morgantown theaters, but. So there's like a documentary out that's all primary source material. So by that, it's like all like news, not even just news clippings, but actually like behind the scenes um, uh, video of like the actual launch and the people on the ground and like them being in space and like people like being in like Houston at the, you know, the command center and all that stuff. Like that's actually a pretty interesting documentary to look at. And you actually see like other like video of them being on the moon that I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, so 
while I do agree that it is a hot ass take, there are a lot of people that do subscribe to that belief that we never land on the moon. So it's still a very um, it's about a um, chick, a a milkshake, cool temperature type of take. (laughs) Yeah. um, yeah, I I just always had my doubt. Whatever. It's a cynic in me again. Television. Yeah. <laughs> Last one. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was gonna say, yeah, you should check out that um documentary. It is pretty. It is pretty it's interesting. So. Uh yeah. Oh no no hold on hold on. Ah oh, fuck. Um. Because Apollo 13 was the one. Tom Hanks movie. That was Apollo 11. No, shit. Damn it. It's Apollo 11. Apollo 13 was the one where... Damn it. I fucked that up. So, yeah. It's a, it is Apollo 11. Apollo 11 was the one that... It, Apollo 11 2019 fuck. film. Yep, I see it right here on Wikipedia. So, Apollo 13 was so, yeah. Tom Hanks and Apollo 11 is the documentary that Marcus recommends. Yeah. Shit. It happens, buddy. It happens to the best of us. Not like it's not uh, night or time. I know. So, 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 what is um? So, Teeny's the last TV's one. The last one. Uh, I got one take that's like super weird. Um, I got one take that's hot that you probably already know about. Um, but then, other than that, um, maybe a little bit dry on my end. Now, because it's getting a little bit late, do you? What is the hottest TV take that you have? Mine are both terrible. I got Seinfeld is overrated. Oh shit! What's the other one? <laughs> uh, the Simpsons will be on until Matt Groening dies. Uh, I mean, who's still wa- who's still watching The Simpsons? I mean, I don't know who's profitable, and they keep leaving it on TV in that eight o'clock Sunday night slot. I mean, it's the same. It's this, the same question I posed to the NFL. I'm posing for. Um, I am posing for uh, the Simpsons because who the wants to watch the Simpsons every day, every Sunday at least? Um, Seinfeld being overrated. I mean, uh, I don't know. It depends on what type of comedy you like. Do you like Kirby enthusiasm? I like Curb, and I will say, I say this as someone who enjoys Seinfeld. No. Um, I, why do you think it's, overrated? I think it's overrated because of how, whenever somebody brings up Seinfeld, like, Oh my God, I love Seinfeld. And did you see the episode where Newman and Jerry were doing this or Kramer and Jerry were doing this? And it's just, it, and then like, and they're telling you about it. And then you go and watch the episode and you might giggle a few times. There's some classic episodes. Don't get me wrong. And there's some episodes that I love that other people never talk about, but you'll go to watch this episode and be like, all right, this is, this is like, somebody's like, Oh, this is great episode of Seinfeld ever or Festivus. I love Festivus personally, but let's just say Festivus. You go sit down and watch Festivus and you find yourself underwhelmed because you just felt too built up to it. And Seinfeld cannot live up to your expectations that, the public puts on this series because it is so overhyped and so beloved by so many people. I feel like it actually ruins the experience for anybody coming, anybody new coming into the actual series because of the hype train 
is just too much for Seinfeld to carry. And I like Seinfeld, but I still feel like it's overrated. Just like you like Kendrick Lamar, but you feel like he's overrated. I mean, that's true. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, I would say, um, I mean, I know like a ton of black people that don't like Seinfeld. So, um, I don't know. I think that's sort of a medium take. Um, now, um, I love Seinfeld. I I love Seinfeld. I love Curb. Um, I think I've seen at least like ninety five percent of this um, Seinfeld episodes. So I've I've always been pretty big on Seinfeld. Well, actually, not always. I I didn't get into Seinfeld until. Um, Fuck, when did I start? I think I didn't get into Seinfeld. Oh, I didn't get into Seinfeld way after it was off air. I think it may have been high school when it came on TBS all the time. Um, or maybe like college or some shit. But, um, but yeah, I didn't get into Seinfeld until like pretty late. Um, now, f- for my hot take, the first one... Now, this is going to be a journey, so this is a little bit strange. So it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be very weird. I think it's going to be the weirdest take that we have tonight. So we were talking earlier about Facebook and how Facebook is trash. Primarily, the reason Facebook is trash is just just the overexposure of Facebook. Like we're just exposed to too much. Like we're exposed to, to people's. Too many thoughts, like too many photos, like too many fake news, too many conspiracies, you know, too many racist rants, like too many bigoted rants, like just too many of too much shit, right? Now, the internet is littered with too much shit. Like it's literally, you know, just doing the most for no reason, right? Now... The internet, what would you say is the number one thing that's on the internet? Yes. And so we grew up in an age where, um, you know, we grew up in an era where, you know, upon our adolescence and our, you know, maturation from, you know, preteens and teenagers, internet wasn't a thing. Um, you know, we we could enjoy a, a nice uh, VHS tape that we stole from one of our uncles, or our cousins or a, uh, like a, a Playboy magazine found in some dusty corner of your dad's oh. drawer or whatever. So my hot take is the era of Skinamax, um, which is basically so people who aren't familiar with Skinamax, Skinamax is basically uh, basically soft core porno that Cinemax aired at like at like basically eleven thirty midnight one o'clock between that and like three o'clock in the morning or some shit um, from about the late nineties like the I I think it's still I think it's still going but. <laughs> Skinamax is no really? more. A few years ago, they took off all their softcore programming. So they no longer do that. Oh. Okay. Now, uh, I believe in the freedom of choice and the freedom of, you know, you know, you, you know, you want to watch what you want to watch, whatever. 
But I think with just the oversaturation of just the internet and like the access to information, I actually think that the Skinamax era of, of porno is better than internet porno right now. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and not necessarily because and not necessarily because of the quality of the actual like the art or whatever. It's just that like in that era, like like you you just weren't seeing just like an avalanche of just dicks. Like you just weren't seeing an avalanche of just filth. Like that was like the last era of where like um that was really the last era before before everyone had access to the internet. And so before everyone could really just get like overexposed to the filth of the internet. And so that's like the dam. Like that's, that's like the, the the beer in the dam. Like once the internet took over, like, you know, and file sharing was a thing. Like, you know, it was, it was just a wrap for all that. So, so, so now saying that Cinemax is better than the current product of porn on the internet today. So I actually, for some reason, like I actually found a stat of this one, um, this one porno site or whatever. And guess how many videos this one, this one website just had. No, take a legitimate guess. Like, how many videos do you think this... I think I saw a stat that it was, like, the, I guess, the second most highest visited porno site or something like that. But how... So, what would you guess the the video amount is for the second highest traffic porno website? Um, Like, so, total amount on the site, let's say... Let's say 78,000. Two million. I knew it was in the millions. I just went way too high. I should have been more reasonable. But but why is but why would why are there two million pieces of video of porn on one website? (laughs) Like just just think about that. Like that's two. Do we really need two million pieces of porno? Like. I can answer that. Like, that's a wild ass thing. Yes. Oh. Not personally for me, but not the world does need that much. The world. I guess. I mean, I believe in variety. Like no one's monolithic, especially when it comes to sexual appetites. But <laughs> two, like two million, like over two million, just on this one website alone, like. Nah, it's a different website. They're not paying us, so we're not advertising it. So I watched a video but with Pornhub stats on it just to find out what it was a few months ago, and it was even higher, if you believe it. Jesus, like, oh man, like that's a lot of that's a lot of jizz, man. Like, <laughs> so now. 
colleges. And like I said, like it's not the artistic quality of the videos, but it's just that like I don't know, that era felt very in my adolescence felt very pure. <laughs> so okay. so yeah, I I think you know what? I think leaving at the mountain of jizz, that should be the last take of the night. Yeah. Like, I think I think it's appropriate. Yeah, but I still want to know what your other take was. <laughs> your your favorite TV character of all time is overrated. <laughs> no TV character. Who's my favorite TV character of all time? Oh my god, it's great. Walter. What is it? Walter White. Oh, he's not my favorite of all time. Oh, I thought he was. I thought it was pretty high for you. No, I, no, no. I just had to defend him on Alapal, and Eric's like, I'm taking. I'm taking Negan. I'm like, oh, thanks. I guess I'm stuck with Walter. And the first time through Breaking Bad, I completely love Walter White's character. And the second time through Breaking Bad, I was like, I can't believe I cheered for this piece of shit as long as I did the first time. I think he's an incredible, like, I think he's an incredible TV character as the lead of a of a show. But he's definitely not one of my favorites of all time. Have you ever watched Sopranos? Um, I haven't watched it in its entirety. No, I've watched, I've watched a good chunk of it though, but not all of it. Sopranos is, uh, Sopranos is highly impressive. Like I think it's either number two or number three on my list of like best TV shows ever. Um, a lot of, I think you should watch Sopranos eventually. Um, hell, I mean, I, even if you watch it before Thrones, like I mean, Thrones is wrapping up soon, so I mean, you want to get the you. I would just recommend just not being on Twitter at nine o'clock at night on Sundays for the next six Sundays. So, yeah. but um, I probably will be, but thankfully I'm not in Thrones Twitter, so I should be okay unless one of y'all decide to unleash something on the timeline. But I'll I'll still be careful. So um, I think Sopranos is better than Breaking Bad. Um, I wrote, I don't know if you remember. I wrote like a I wrote like a piece on like the anti-villain um, and anti-heroes and like Tony Tony and um, Walter. They're really similar in the characters of who they are, and so you're put in a position where you're set to like them. And so when you first look at them, like yeah, like you're like fans of them. But if you like look a bit further, like there, there is something very menacing below the surface that um, people tend to ignore about them. So um, people tend to, you know, we kind of make excuses as to why we like them when they're, you know, basically sociopaths. Um, So, yeah, man, I think you should give um, Sopranos a chance. Another recommendation from Marcus Show Mad Love Robinson is the Sopranos, ladies and gentlemen, write that down. For those of you still keeping track, and I will check that out. I do plan on watching <laughs> the whole thing. <sighs> so, Marcus, I'm scrolling through the feed right now of the of the world's greatest podcast, trying to determine what is actually the longest episode. So I feel like we're damn close. Um, we did a three and a half hour one, didn't we, one time? The longest one I've seen is Daughters, Dads, and Disney, and that came in at 3 hours and 11 minutes, episode 48. 
the longest one we've done mm. together was looks like it was numbers on the board 2017 and that was episode 45 and that was three hours and five minutes i don't think we've topped the three hour mark since then though so i think let's see the recording time says three hours 15 minutes so we may go over and be breaking records here on episode 92 of hyphenation i mean we've um Dispurge the dead, uh, dispurge the living. I mean, it's a good episode. Buddy. <laughs> and and, and it with jizz. So, what else can you want from from an award winning podcast? <sighs> a exactly. Obama approved podcast where I just said that he didn't accomplish anything. God, I love this episode. <laughs> All right, man. So, you've heard the hot takes. We're going to have to do this again. We, next time we're going to probably narrow it down because we had a lot of takes to get through try to really pick out our best ones but you don't know with hot takes until you throw them out there whether they're going to get a reaction like I, I didn't think some of mine would land and Marcus loved them and, and Marcus just knew he had to fire when he, when he wrote that stuff down so that Kendrick Lamar one is going to keep me awake probably another 25 minutes when I lay in bed so with all that said <laughs> hold up it's like sound advice or whatever it's like comics conventions and cosplay or whatever it's like ladies night or whatever it's like wrestling or whatever it's like parenting or whatever it's like anime or whatever it's like spiritual warfare or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people coming around doing what we do best. Or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow. Or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. Marcus, do you have any final words of wisdom for the people before we let them go? Yeah, man. Um, get your Thanksgiving plates in order. Get them correct. Um, also, a quick drive by uh, John Wall's at a point guard and Steph Curry. Um, the bronze better than Jordan. Um, so those are some t- the 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 wall take is a take I didn't get into. Uh, we'll say that for the next one. We'll say that for the next go around. When he's if anything, if you ever do watch Thrones, we'll actually have a pod on Thrones discussing the show so you can get caught up because um, on Twitter, I'm def- I, I've live tweeted my rewatch of the season of the series. So um, I, don't, I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but the sun is going to be the first episode of season eight. Okay, so I will... Um, by then I'll be I'll be fully caught up on season seven. So um looking back on this show, like just analyzing it, um we um um I think depending on this show it's probably gonna go down as the number two of all time, depending on how it ends. Um but um the best TV show of all time is still the wire. Like that's not gonna get surpassed by anybody, so the Wire is still incredible, man. Like I, I can picture the whole series in my head. That's how incredible it is. I watched the shit out of those DVDs. Um, so, so your final words of wisdom is 
to watch Game of Thrones and we'll do a pod about it. So what you came up with? <laughs> oh, no, no. My words of wisdom was make sure you, one, get your oh, Thanksgiving plate right. Two, 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 respect John Wall as being the best point guard in the NBA. Um, now you want to say, oh, he's, he's he doesn't shoot as well as Steph. He's not as light skin as Steph. <laughs> bitch, I said, bitch, I said point guard. When you think of the point guard as far as passing, distributing, making your teammates better, there is no one in the league better at that than John Wall. Um, so, yeah, make sure you respect John Wall. Make sure you respect the gang side. That's number two. And the um, the number three, um, the number three takeaway, um, I would say if you're, living, if you're listening to this and you're in D.C. or you're in Maryland or Virginia, support your local go-go band. Uh, go to the shows, buy the tapes. Blast blast the music out your car stereos. Support support Gogo. Don't let it die, baby. Don't let it die. I wanna name this episode Ain't He Ain't Light Skinned as Stuff So Bad Now. But it's called Hot Ass Takes. <laughs> I, I, I just have to go with that title. But that that was so I'm glad I messed it up and made you say it again just for that little piece of audio gold. <laughs> oh, all right, man. My words of wisdom for today. Same thing I say on any of my solo episodes. Life comes at you fast, man. Make sure you take the time. Let your loved ones know you love them. Call your mom. Hug your dad. Shake your sister's hand. Smack your brother. Um, You know, send an email. Write a letter. Send a telegram if they still have those things. Just just make sure you let people know you care. Um, Just had a friend of mine who lost her stepdaughter. Um... 25 years old, and she had uh, two young children that she left behind in a horrible motor vehicle accident. So you just never know, man, when it's your time to go. A wise man once wrote those words on a little ditty called uh, uh, The Minds Mixtape Volume 3 a long time ago in a place far, far away. So just make sure you let people know what's up, even if it's just to drop a little message on, on Facebook, a quick DM, just a text message just let them know man that's my words of wisdom for today and uh make sure that you get that corner that mac and cheese too whenever thanksgiving comes around yeah yeah man if that shit ain't burnt put that shit back in the motherfucking oven dog nah granny this shit ain't black enough granny put that shit back in and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the first annual Hot Ass Takes episode. That is Marcus showing Mad Love Robinson, who's going to say nothing, apparently. Nah, tell Granny to put that shit back in the motherfucking oven. That's what I'm going to tell Granny. I don't have to tell my Granny that. Helen knows. She knows how to make the mac and cheese, but y'all Granny, tell her to get that shit Shout right. Shout out to Helen, man. My my grandmother was exactly. Hell- and she passed away a month before I was born. Uh, so shout out to her. Helen's are angels. Yes. Um and for myself, Kellen Conley, this has been the world's greatest podcast, the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast. And he still follows me. I checked in case there was anybody listening to our conversation. Ah <sighs> yeah. Now 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 Kellen, you 
you know, I've um, I I did good things in my presidency, and um, and um, me and Michelle, um, you know, we have a strong marriage, and um, you know, good kids, and you know, fuck you. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. <laughs> I'm really sure Barack would take. listening don't forget to subscribe and comment this has been a hyphen podcast network production they're the bestest i'm getting paid at exposure